All right. It's been a while. I'm joined with Adam Scarborough. Been on here too many times, man. Too many times. And ABC Clark, aka Annabeth Clark. Um, I had her at, we, we both had her as a teacher, as an English teacher junior year of high school. She is still teaching at the moment. Um, you teach senior year, right? English? Yep. At, at a private school right now? Yeah, at a Catholic school. Do you, do you still do AP classes? Yeah, so I have um, AP Lit and Comp, which is, I think, what Miss Ernest did. Right. And um, they just, like, the non-AP students, it's just college prep English, but all the seniors. Is it just one class that you're teaching? Well, two. Like, I do different things with both of them, but I just have all the seniors. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. That's motivated. Um, so a couple things that I wanted to talk to you about was, um, obviously these are, these are weird times. Um, well, I guess your, your school isn't really doing virtual learning right now, is it? Uh, well, more now than the beginning, we're the only school in town who went back fully in person, um, on the like normal start date, but obviously everyone's in masks and um there are way more things we have to do and a lot of things we can't do but you, students could choose to go virtual but they have to stick that way for nine weeks so i had maybe four or five of those but now like our whole football team had to get tested and some came back positive so the whole football team was out for a couple of days and then once they test positive they have to go virtual for 10 days um and now they're like you know someone has a party on a saturday and by that next thursday there's like 50 kids out so that's what happened this week. So now my classes are probably like a third virtual students, but, but they like are cycling in as fast as they're cycling out. Okay. So sense. how does that even work with like, if you have in-person classes for some people, but virtual <laughs> classes for others? Um, it sucks for the virtual kids. I'm just going to say, like, I try really hard, but a lot of what I do in class is just like talking, not like not me talking, everyone talking. And it's like, you mm. know, I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, informal conversation stuff. And it's so hard because always, I just have an iPad that the school gave me. So like move it kind of and make sure they can hear me. But half the time it's like on my shoes or on the ceiling and I haven't noticed. And so they're sitting there and so they listen, but they can't really participate. And then I just figured out, I like doubles zoom and screen share so they can actually see what's on my screen as i'm doing it mm -hmm. but i'm so much faster if i write stuff on the board and now i'm having to like type it and i don't know so I, it's just like definitely not the best experience for the virtual students right now um so but, uh, sorry to interrupt but do you think it would be more convenient if you just went full virtual like do you think that would be something that you would prefer um, I think I think if I had one or the other, I could plan accordingly. Because right now I'm mm. planning for like in in person learning, and so the virtual students are just like literally flies on the wall. So if I was fully virtual, yeah, I think that I could create situations and conversations and like lesson plans that would would be tailored to that. So yeah, right now I'm not. The only thing that benefits the virtual kids is that everything I post and everything we do is on Google Classroom so they can click through it. But half of them like 
can't find it or it's I go too quickly. And so I ended up doing it for them anyways. So yeah, if it were completely one or the other, it would definitely be easier. But so, if it's like if virtual is the way that future the future is going in education, then I gotta find a new job. You don't, you I, don't I'm either too it. old or inept or just like not interested because I don't know. I hate I, I just yeah, in person's so, way. So if you were to like either if you had the choice between staying how you are now and going completely virtual, what would you choose? It just depends on the situation. So mm. if my kids stayed in school, then that'd be fine. I could be in my classroom and it'd be an environment mm. that I get. But like this spring when everything was shut down, my husband already worked from home. So nothing changed for him and he was helpful, but he has like meetings with business people and stuff. So I like shut the doors to my dining room and would have both of my kids at my feet, like yelling or throwing things or crying or whatever. Um, so if my kids were in school, yeah, virtual hundred percent could be better, but you know, I'm, if everything shuts down again, my teaching goes way down because then I'm teaching and parenting. Like babysitting. Yeah. yeah. So from like, uh, I guess a learning perspective, do you think students have a huge disadvantage from being completely virtual versus in person? Like just in general, absent of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I feel like every, you know, whatever, I can't keep up with what generation is called, what my generation and definitely my parents' generation, everyone mm -hmm. talks about your generation and like the current middle schoolers not having, or high schoolers not having great people skills, but mm -hmm. that is like exacerbated when you're just completely virtual. Cause you can sit there and just passively take stuff in. You're not forced to interact. Part of it, like in my class, you're forced to respond or talk or you know, even just like being around other high schoolers, these students are just at home alone, basically. Yeah. So they're interacting, but it's not like their pupil skills, I feel like are suffering even more than their, like high schoolers, they're at the point in their education, they can handle virtual and still learn, but their social skills and pupil skills and interpersonal skills are just like going to be a little more stunted than even before. So would I be accurate in saying like, uh, it, uh, that from a learning perspective, it's almost about the same, but from a social perspective, it's a lot worse going virtual. Yeah. I mean, learning wise, I think it's at least the way that I teach virtual, just because I'm not as creative or not as adept with all the different things you can do. It's more boring, but if you're right. motivated, you can learn the same stuff. It's just kind of more based on you. And are you going to sit down and actually do the work rather than me kind of forcing it on you in person? Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the education, I feel like by the time you're a senior in high school, it's not as huge of a difference as like a fifth grader learning handwriting or, you know, second and third graders learning how to be polite and have conversations. I, I, I can't even imagine. I don't know what those teachers, how they do that. And, and just to speak from like a learning perspective as a student myself, like this year at ASU, I've only been to a few... I've only been to a few like in-person classes, but I've noticed that those- How long did you last, like a week? Uh, it was about like two weeks. I can go into like the whole politics of ASU shutdown policy and all that. But for now, like I went to a few in-person classes and I can say like without a doubt, I learned so much 
more effectively and I was so much more focused in those classes being in person I don't know what it is like just the fact that you can't pull out your phone you can't like I don't know lay down in your bed and just kind of zone out like um, that that's the hard thing too I mean I I you know last year I had freshmen and sophomores but I have like 15 year old dudes pop up my screen and they're in their bed without a shirt on just like and I'm like how am I supposed to ha- I, I feel so uncomfortable right now and like I realize I have wet hair and I definitely took advantage of that and I would go for a run and come back with like five minutes to go and teach a class sweaty but they're like in their beds yeah and I'm sorry you're comfortable but you're not going to pay attention as much I'm sure they turn their cameras off and sleep oh yeah like yeah, I, was, I would too. yeah I was in my uh I was in an intro to policing class the other day and you know, I, I laid down for a little bit because I was like, I'm a little tired. I'll, I'll just lay down for a second and I'll close my eyes a little bit, you know, just listen to what he's saying. And then 20 minutes later, I wake up and I have no idea like what he said, what he's been talking about. And that, that was all unintentional. So I feel like I feel like I'm not really prone to do that kind of stuff. But I feel like the average student is going to sound super elitist to me, but like the average student probably like deals with that more often than not like just straight up follow falling asleep in class yeah it's easy it's easier to to attempt with the i would say unmotivated or sleepy students when they're in person but on a computer it's even more awkward to like get in the camera and be like hey wake up like i don't i don't know yeah just so how long have you been in virtual um so since march of last semester Honestly, I didn't even go back to UConn because all my classes were online and they really weren't, they didn't let out of state students come back. You didn't even have a choice. Right. Um, but honestly, I, I feel like I get the same out of the class because mm-hmm. I'm, I personally just kind of like to teach myself all this stuff. And then I just go to lectures just to like reinforce it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of like online classes more and I feel like I'm getting the same out of it just because like I can do everything on my own schedule and also like I can get ahead a lot easier than like with in-person classes like I would have to wait oh I have to wait this 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 week to do this while like they usually post everything at the beginning of the week so I can like be done with the whole week on like Monday and Tuesday where and I would have to like if I if it was in person I'd have to wait for like that Wednesday class or that Friday class to like go to class and do whatever assignment they needed me to do whereas if they posted it all at the beginning of the week like they do now I can just get all that done at the beginning and not have to worry about it later on yeah. and but I, I feel like you are in the there's maybe like five percent of students who are like motivated and or honestly capable of of doing that and like sticking to it and not needing that guidance or just like extra in-person either motivation or clarification. I don't know one thing. It's a bad thing completely. Yeah. Like it's not the most equitable situation. I've always been like, okay, like my grades are like under my like control. So like, I'm not gonna like necessarily trust just the lectures just mm-hmm. like the teacher teaching me, like I'm not gonna put all my trust in these professors um, to give me the information I need to like be successful and pass this course. You, you sound like you, that you've been listening to Adam. 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've been hanging out with Adam too much. Um, but like, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna take care. I'm gonna make sure that like, even without like those lectures, that I'm still gonna be capable of like passing the course and like being success, success, successful academically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, if you don't mind me asking, uh, I'd kind of like to get into like COVID nineteen and kind of your thoughts about it and kind of your colleagues thoughts about it so about a few months ago how are you feeling in terms of schools reopening like were you more pro in favor like in favor of schools reopening in person with certain guidelines or were you more in favor of just straight up all virtual or what were you thinking that you know what's weird and I feel like my husband and I were just talking about this yesterday or I don't know what um it's weird how, I don't know, five, six months ago in the United States, wearing a mask was this like dorky, weird thing. Like no one does that. You know, these other countries, people wearing masks, that's so, it's just like weird. But now it's just the norm and I'm comfortable with it. And so I feel, I mean, I feel fine and I'm glad school opened. It just, kind of got us all back to normal and that's very selfish of like feeling like my life is back to normal but for the in-person learning for the normalcy you know for myself but also for my kids especially my daughter um I'm fine with it um but I also understand that we're lucky to be you know that no one in my family has any anything that makes me like more afraid than the norm of catching it you know, no one's immunosuppressed or, you know, elderly or anything like that. So I, again, I feel like my opinion is just based on my specific situation that I have a three-year-old who really needs to go to school. I was ready to feel normal. And my husband, we were driving him crazy because this is his office. And then we were all just like in it 24 seven. Um, but it's also crazy how different parts of the country see things so differently. I mean, I started this pandemic virtual school in Aspen and then picked up with it here in Louisiana and total, I mean, at one point I was still getting asked in emails and it was like total opposite feelings on going back. So they're fully virtual in the high school and they do like cohorts with elementary and middle school in Aspen. But, um, you know, there was no one in buildings. Every, it was very much like, as much caution as possible whereas here and i don't i guess it's a i don't know it's a southern thing uh a red state thing i don't know but everyone's like you know well half the people at my school were like oh we already had it in the spring we're good like all the faculty was like oh yeah i had it here i had it here and i was like okay but it's just like we'll figure it out we got to do this we got to be normal we're not afraid kind of thing. So I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. You'd say your but colleagues- I went back, I didn't refuse to go back, what? So you say like your fellow teachers at your school were, weren't really afraid at all. They were mostly like on no, board. No, I mean, a lot of people were like, I understand why I have to wear a mask, mm-hmm. but kind of like, eh, this is gonna suck. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, it, it's not 
fun, but you know, it's, it's just totally, you know, teachers in Aspen were basically protesting saying, we're not going back. We don't feel safe. We're not going to risk our lives. Whereas here, not one teacher at my school didn't come back. Everyone was like, okay, fine. Put my mask on. It's just like a total and no one's right. No one's wrong. It's just a difference. Politics. Maybe? I don't know. Like it just yeah. in mentality. So, so I mean, I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. So what's like the age range of teachers there? Is it particularly older teachers or yeah. kind of, okay. Yeah, I mean, there are still a few teachers there who taught me in high school. Um, hmm. My principal, my boss now was my um, algebra teacher. And I would say there are like five or six, but the rest of them are still in that age range. There are maybe five of us in our thirties, hmm. maybe. I think there's one teacher, no, two teachers younger than me. I mean, the fact that I can even count two or three, yeah, majority of them are old enough to have been my teachers in high school. Some of them were. So, yeah, that might be, Aspen was definitely a younger crowd. Okay. Um, and then uh, how are your students feeling about this whole thing like have some of them come out and said you know this is ridiculous like why are we here or have some students no it's the like, opposite like a lot of them are pissed when they are sorry when they have to go home there yesterday i had this kid who like signed into zoom and he was like oh i have three more days i hate this i want to come back to school and i like mm -hmm. a lot of it is for sure the social part but i also think that you know because we are teaching synchronous classes and they are just watching on a screen it's not a virtual class it sucks <laughs> so like by virtue i didn't you know we didn't do it on purpose but they hate it they want to be in school and i would love to say they want to learn and be there in person and maybe that's part of it classes would be more interesting but it's just like the experience they don't want to be they've been home for how long right yeah, Gosh, yeah months now Let's see yeah yeah it's funny that you brought up that whole mask um concept of how like it, it used to be super weird but now it's like the normal um because um when adam was just coming in here actually um into into, into the house my sister was like you know corona's happening right and she's like <laughs> and, I, and i was like yeah and then she's like why is your friend here and i was like why do you go to school and then she was like well at least you could have a mask on i was like girl it's like it's okay. He does have a mask. He did bring a mask. I bought it just in case. You just, just in case. But it's like, and she's like in fourth grade and like, she's that trained, I guess. And, and even when it, I worked at a, a summer camp over the summer, like we had to make sure like all these like kids from the ages like five and up were like wearing masks. And like we constantly had to tell them these like five-year-olds to like put your mask on, put your mask on. It's and it's just such a, and it is the normal now. And it, I it's wonder. Real, it's the normal. Like I said, you, you know, you'd see pictures of like a flu outbreak in China and be like, oh my gosh, why are these people wearing masks? That's yeah. just and now it's like, come on, dude, like really, you're going to protest. Just put a mask on for five minutes go pump your gas and get in your car. Why is it that big of a deal? But it does make me sad when <laughs> we'll be leaving the house and, you know, Jojo who can like, dress herself sometimes on good days would we'll be like do you have your mask like <laughs> terrible and today we i took her on a run in the stroller and we stopped at a gas station to get some water um and she was like i'll stay outside i don't have a mask <laughs> it's like it's, just, it's so strange like i wonder 
if this is something she grows out of when things go back to normal or is this like it's just such a formative age for her to like yeah. look at all around her and but the first couple of weeks when the mask thing went into order she'd be like you know we'd be on a run or something and up and down the street mommy all the doctors are going to work because I don't know why people drive in their cars alone with the mask on. <laughs> but, like, that's just like, dumb to me. But she kept seeing cars at red lights. Everyone who passed us had a mask on. And so she just assumed everyone was a doctor. And they're mm. like, Gotta be extra safe, right? right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. I just laugh yeah. at people at red lights. Yeah, easy. Yeah. No, but yeah, I'd say it's not only like just the new normal, but people get like, outraged at you if you don't wear a mask like I was yeah, uh, flying out to ASU a few weeks ago and one of the last people on the plane is like this guy uh, this white dude walks in says he has lung cancer and he like demands that he gets to sit down without a mask and you know it turns into this whole like like spectacle where this guy is like yelling at other airplane passengers like he's saying obscenities to other people and we have to be plane, uh, like everyone on board, have everyone get off the plane and like everyone's fucking pissed, sorry, pissed off at him. And uh, yeah, it just turned into this whole spectacle and you could kind of see that just by how outraged everyone was that like, this is the new normal. You kind of have to obey this standard. Yeah, People is it scary be super how, quickly, how quickly things like that can change? Yeah. Become like the... The, I don't know, new normal for social expectations. I guess it's law now, right? Uh, I mean, I've heard that in there's been like mask mandates in certain states, but I don't know how like they enforce that necessarily. Like, like, I think I've I've seen videos of like people getting tickets for not like wearing a mask, some or something like that. Yeah, I don't know, but. Um, yeah, it's just gotten pretty crazy in the fact that there's such, like, a movement against masks. Like, I guess I just, like, I, I mean, s go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I, everyone has their, like, you know, rights to personal freedom. But I just feel like because masks are more so protecting other people from you versus, like, protecting yourself from others, like, mm -hmm. then just be a nice person. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a political thing. Just don't breathe your breath on people. What? Okay. Have, have any of your students uh, expressed any anti-mask thoughts or anything to you? Have any of your students refused to wear masks or anything like that? No, I mean, to come to school, they have to wear them, but I definitely have, you know, the dudes who like sit in the back and it's down and I don't know I think they all think I'm crazy because <laughs> they're talking I'm like man I can't hear you because your mask isn't on and just like roll their eyes and put it back on but no I mean they're all pretty they deal with it it'd be different if if teachers didn't abide by it as well or something but um no I mean, it's just you know all of us are equally miserable talking in them or wearing glasses is fun but that's just such a stupid thing to complain about that yeah they just but it is weird when they do go virtual I finally get to see what they look like I don't I like mm. know my students just from their eyes and so they get on zoom and I'm like who are you 
And the same thing, like if I'm alone in my classroom or something and someone comes in and I put it on real quick, they're like, oh, I saw your face. <laughs> I, like, I'm not going to know. And I have 92 students and I feel like next year or whenever, you know, I'm going to see them and be like, wait, close, go like this. Oh, that's who you are. Yeah, I'm, I was surprised when I noticed that like when someone took off their mask, like how different they look like. I didn't oh, really I'm think so wrong every time. I'm always I, surprised. Like, yeah, <laughs> I didn't really think a mask could really have that much an effect on like a person's face, but like it really does. Like, I've seen people take off their mask and like they look like a totally different person. Yeah, I totally agree. There are students I'm like, oh, you look like there's this one girl who has like the same eyes as my sister, and she took off her mask, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. Um, but I, I kind of want to shift to um given the the circumstances in in both of our lives and what i mean by that is obviously you have a job you're your mother you're a full-on adult you are adulting you are I'm like a i'm a homeowner now too that's a, a homeowner that's yeah that's fair more that's, importantly you're you are doing what what we call life adam and i we're on the free trial still. We're on the free trial. We're we're warming up. We're we're on the bench. We're we're, we're kind of just watching. We're on JV. Um, so there's there's obviously this experience gap um, that is between us. Um, so just like, and you're not, and you weren't too far off from from like college and those days that we're currently in. Um, so I guess I just wanted to ask, like, what like just like from a social life like what are the differences that you that you see from like that like more college social life to like social life that you have now mm, I mean definitely way more particular like my my free time and my you know social time is so limited now that I am very we're I say we because now another is that it's not just me like it's, we definitely function as a unit at this point like my husband and I mm -hmm. he's my wait which one I'm his wingman right I don't know he's the one he's like the nice outgoing one and I'm just the quiet one who like gotcha. get be friends with people because he's friends with them um H. okay um but yeah so I'm definitely more choosy but it's also like in college I feel like it was really important to me and interesting to me to meet people from all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of different you know that's just like the nature of college and now it's kind of the opposite it's like if we meet people again I don't even speak in eyes anymore it's just a we um and they don't have kids my husband and I are like eh maybe in a few years we'll try it again like I don't you know there's just like something built in immediately when someone has kids or but I'm, I've, I'm just like the, I've always been the worst at being social I just feel so awkward and especially with like just me and a bunch of other females like I have like, like three best friends from college and I'm good but um it's very weird being back where I grew up and went to high school um either seeing people I went to high school with and I like never spoke to again 
or trying to meet new people in my own hometown. Um, yeah, I feel like I started over for a lot of reasons moving back here, Why like completely with friends and now having kids that kind of puts me out of other people's social circles as well. But like, I mean, I just feel like diversity used to be really important to me and it still is, but now it just makes things like more difficult. Someone has kids like, you know, plays a sport or likes to be outside. We're probably good. <laughs> so actually you have a question that's like kind of cycling back to what we were talking about earlier, but I really want to ask it. So if you were a college student now and you had the choice of going back to college in person, but most classes were either online or like kind of a hybrid, you couldn't ethically go to parties, right? They weren't allowed technically. Um, and people had to wear masks everywhere. Would you go back to college? Yeah. Like if you were, yep. you would? Yep. But part of that is also just based on where I went to school. I completely credit, so this kind of loops into the social thing too. Like I, in high school, I was pretty antisocial. Like I had, a, I had friends, but on the weekends, I was so focused on playing tennis. That's what I wanted to do. I just didn't care. So I didn't really go to a lot of parties in high school. I thought every, I mean, I was, you know, elitist is too strong of a word, but I just thought everyone was stupid and immature. And when I got to college, that changed. So I was like, every, all of you are pretty smart and you go to parties. And so you can do both. And I like lightened up a lot. So I completely credit college with kind of making me nicer to people and actually like, like people and pursuing friendships. And so I feel like, because I recognize that in myself pretty immediately, my, my freshman year of college, I think, uh, I would have gone back just for, you know, even the benefit of like being with a roommate or two versus being home. I mean, knock it. I, I think that it would take all of the self-control in the world and college students aren't necessarily known for their self-control to not socialize or not like you're, you're clever. You're going to find ways around it. Not going to say, yeah, I probably would have ended up doing that, but the benefits it had for me, like personally, um, were just too great for me to risk feeling like I took steps backwards. Adam, that's kind of a being totally honest. Kind of a that question kind of fits in your situation, eh? Yeah, I mean, I but feel you like you made the opposite decision, so right. What so, led to he could still go back. So yeah, technically, I, I haven't gotten out of my uh, housing lease with ASU. You're, you're fluid right now. You're just. Yeah, I'm just kind of, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, I'd say the situation is a little bit different for me because obviously I, I think I probably like the people I, I went to high school with probably a lot more than you did. Um, and I also think like, uh, I don't know, when, when you're out of state, were you an out of state student? Yeah, she was. She was. Okay. I was a what? Sorry. Were you an out of state student? Yeah. Yeah. So I think when you're out of state and you don't really have many friends coming in from the beginning, it's a little bit different. And especially given the higher cost of, you know, living on yeah, campus. I mean, see, you're, you're, I didn't take into account how expensive it was to me, for me to be just be sitting in a dorm. 
Yeah. But I'm just going purely on like if I were to be selfish. Yeah. And plus, like, I mean, what would make you go back or stay at this point? Do you have to make a stay? So I'd say a big part of my social life at ASU was the mock trial program. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't say I really connected very well with the people, like, like on my floor and in my classes and stuff. Um, I'd say mainly where my friendships came from was mock trial mm -hmm. and the way things are looking now that's going to be completely online competition and you know traveling to tournaments in California that's going to be completely online mm -hmm. so like pretty much the social aspect of college has kind of gone out the window there except for like you know the times I might hang out with my teammates uh, at certain points but I think for me like I, I just don't understand why a lot of ASU students came back because a lot of the social social life there just kind of revolves around partying and you know yeah but they're thinking they can get around it right but that's not hot or then they get yeah I mean I mean it's it's whatever though I, I think I think a lot of things went into it like the fact that the gym isn't open like that that's pretty that sucks. Um, so yeah. Uh, that, well, that. Okay. There's a, there's another detail of why I know I would have gone back or like assume mm. if the situation would come up and this is like so cheesy. What is it? <laughs> but I, I mean, I met my husband my first night of college. Like I was a freshman, hadn't yeah. even started classes yet, but okay. So I, I know myself too well and I will just, admit that if if he had told me because he and i like our dating history in college is very um colorful but broken up together wouldn't matter if he'd have told me he was going back i probably would have gone back mm -hmm. so if you were in that situation <laughs> for either like Aaron, you didn't really have a choice it sounds like but if either of you were in that situation like it sounds cheesy or whatever but hey we got married we have two kids like it happened that yeah. would have influenced me. That may be really sad, but. Yeah. So, but. I don't know. Personally, I think that, like, the, this is going to sound a little harsh, but I think the, the smart decision absent something like that would be to stay at home because, I mean. But I'm not saying smart, though. I'm not saying, like, logical. Yeah. I'm saying, like, human being. Right. Free to make your own decisions. Mm -hmm. Well, right. Uh, you know, I'm, d I'm just saying, like, from a money perspective and just from, like, like, how enjoyable college will really be, given how much money you're spending versus how much you could save being at home. I know, like, a lot of college students probably aren't going to look at it that way. Well, maybe they will. But my, I mean, I, like, generally knew I went to a very expensive liberal arts school. Um, mm -hmm. And I knew how much it cost, but I also knew, I just like, maybe I was just ignorant or stupid. My, my parents never told me. And it never came out until like maybe three or four years ago when my brother finally graduated um, from college and they were like, you know, done paying for college forever, how much it actually was. And I was like, holy shit, why did you let me make that decision? That is ridiculous. And yes, it like, gave me all of these great things. And I think it was like the greatest four years as far as my development as a human being. And maybe, I guess you can't put a price on that. But my husband was like, so we're gonna convince our kids to just 
go into sports and they don't need to go to college and they can just be professional athletes or like go into coding and not need to go to school. Cause I mean, if, you know, my parents were in the position to be able to pay that, but oh my God, it's just stupid. So yeah, I mean, you sound a little more informed than I was as a sophomore in college. I was just following my pretend boyfriend. I mean, like at the end of the day, like I did choose to go back ultimately. Like I did choose to come back, go back and then come back here, right? So I guess I also kind of like didn't follow my own reasoning there, but you know. Well, but I mean, I, the worst phrase that has come out of all of this or the most overused word is unprecedented. I hate it. I hate that word so much. And it's, but what it literally means is, is there's nothing to follow. It's never happened before. So y'all don't have anyone to give you advice on like, well, back in my day when this happened, or this is how we handled it another time. So I mean, all the adults in your life are making it up as they go. I mean, you're adults now, but you know what I mean? Like there's no one to be like, yeah, we are adults, Adam. (laughs) Legally, sure, but in in the relevant sense of the word, like the important sense of the word, I don't think we are. Adam, Adam, I, I think he was an adult maybe three years ago in the like actual feeling sense of the word. But I gave I gave a long heated speech yesterday to all my students who didn't read about how you're 18, you're adults, you're old enough to join the military, you could read two chapters of Frankenstein. <laughs> I'll be honest, Frankenstein is a hard read, like we're going off the rails a little bit here, but Frankenstein, like, the writing is pretty, it's a lot harder to follow than most books, I'd say. It is, it is, but I don't say you have to understand it all, just like, give yourself a little chance, but give yourself a chance. Yeah. Every time, no, okay, did did we do Frankenstein when I taught y'all, or did I do it with Yeah. Uh, pretty okay, sure. Aaron just said no, and Adam just said yes. No, 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 no. Because I have the book, and I don't think I would have bought the book had I. Oh, not. we did do Frankenstein. Yeah. However, I, I did not read it when. Uh, when but I was see, in your what, class, what, confu- so. what confuses me is someone asked me this like really, like one-off philosophy question while I was teaching Frankenstein, and I like want to say I don't think it was you. This is gonna, I think it was a Sastral one, but I can't remember which one because I taught them both. So who knows? But teaching Frankenstein, I mean, it's interesting now talking about ethics and science and stuff. There's always like a way where there's something going on in the world or society that Frankenstein connects to. But the first time I taught it was at St. Thomas and I was pregnant with Jojo. And so we're talking about playing God and all your responsibilities of bringing life into the world. And was that ethical of him or not? And maybe Dr. Frank or not Dr. Victor Frankenstein is the real monster because he brought this thing into the world. And may this, I just feel like this is a Sastral one moment where one of them like, and I don't, they, they, they like blend together to me at this point. I don't remember which one it was, was like, wait a second, aren't you bringing life into the world? And I was like, oh shit like oh my god you're so right like i'm not ready for this i don't have to be responsible for this i feel like that was the first time i realized like what have i done there's like no turning back i've created a creature well i think the difference is like the monster that frankenstein created was kind of like an outcast he's ugly he's like you know straight up like an outlier and no one liked him so well you never know if your kid is going to be an outlier or not. Right. 
So there's that. I mean, that's but, true. But, but, but it's also the, the because he's abandoned at, at birth, at creation, and not given a chance to not being taught. So one of the questions is like, are you born good or do you have to be taught what is good, what is right and wrong? And so, you know, like the creature didn't have a chance because he's just abandoned straight from the moment of life. I suppose I that Jojo still, she's still here. She's still, she's still not. Yeah. She, she runs this not house. Killing people. Me now. So there's that. But yeah. She's How old is she now? Three. Three. She turned three in May. They call it the I terrible mean, threes. She, she's a leader. That's the mm. positive, that's the positive spin on bossy. She's a leader. Um, her catchphrase is, I got it. <laughs> so it's fun. <laughs> but she's also just like, I mean, scary, smart, the things that come out of her mouth and like, I don't know. It's fascinating. It's definitely fascinating. But isn't it scary that raising children, like you were just an experiment from your parents, like, cause you're both old, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm the oldest. Like we're, we were all just experiments, like totally making up as you go. And I was definitely treated a lot uh, more harshly than my siblings were. Like they get away with so much more stuff than I would have at their age. So. But, and Aaron, uh, I feel like the, the age difference with you, you were like, you had a hand in some of the, the parenting responsibility. Aaron's been a parent like three times over already. <laughs> I think. I've, I've talked about this before. Um, in another episode of the podcast, um, but yeah, I, I I would say I still kind of feel more of a parent than a brother, um, just because of that that age difference. Just because of like it's kind of it's harder to to like connect and like because we have just such different things that that we're interested in and that we want to do like i'll try to make it a uh, a point to to do stuff that they want to do um but that sounds like a parent (laughs) see yeah even that i guess (laughs) that that is true but like and it's always been even when they were younger i I would have to like take care of them and babysit them make sure they were fed you know bathe them and those are all and make sure like and if they were misbehaving, like put them in timeout and like kind of discipline them. And like a brother isn't really supposed to, I, I guess brothers are more supposed to guide their siblings, um, but not really, I guess, discipline in a way. But I definitely did have that role of being a disciplinary in some situations. And I think that is also another reason why I kind of feel more of a parent role than a brother role. Definitely as they are getting older, that parent brother role is more definitely shifting to more of a brother role. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and but it's it also- sounds like, you know, what you were saying about class and how you're like self-motivated enough that you don't really need like your professors. You like they're a guide, but then you want to learn the stuff and figure it out for yourself. Like that sounds... I don't know, a child or, um, birth order psychology is fascinating to me because I know it's not like 100% true all the time, mm-hmm. but there are certain qualities of like a firstborn 
like being self-motivated because you don't have older siblings guiding you and kind of, you know, giving you as much as like you've given your siblings. Yeah, for sure. And um, I definitely, I wish I had an older sibling. I've always wanted an older sibling. Adam, did you feel the same? Uh, I mean, it would have been nice to like have an older sibling that was successful so I could know that like, hey, if I just kind of... You, you didn't even like, just like, because just from like a like, oh, like you're so cool, like to have an older... Well, not even that, but I'd just like to have like an example of my That's like boring. genes making it in the world, you know, so no, knowing that I could do it myself, you know, I don't think I, I don't think I'd need like I don't know, a guide. So you're, you're telling me whenever you were like a middle schooler and you would look at these like high schoolers, you, you didn't think like, oh, like you're so cool. They're in high school. They're like, I know? thought I probably thought that, but I don't think that like I'd need that in the form of a sibling. Well, you didn't want that. Like you didn't mm, like oh, if anything, be, I'd want a twin brother. That would be nice. Oh, so you, you would like to be constantly compared to this twin you know, compared. Like, yeah, I because mean, I know I have twin brothers, and I know I constantly I tr I try not to, but it's hard not to. I compare them, so they they do piano, and and one of the things that I do sometimes is I help them do their piano, and like sometimes, well, usually Matthew is a little better than piano than Henry. So when I'm working with Matthew, and then I'll work with Henry, and then if Henry's having some issues, I'll be like oh, like, Matthew can do this, like, why can't you, and that's so bad of me, but it's, I don't think it's bad. I think, I think it is. Like, think, think of Kevin and Matthew Darmati. Well, they, they do different things, though. They're I understand, like... but Matthew has always made better grades than Kevin, and, like, there's, He's always been kind Very of... Very personal for a podcast. <laughs> calling him out. I'm, I'm just saying, like, this yeah. is a known thing. Unknown where, twins that we're referring to here. Where, where, like... So, I'm just saying, like, I don't think I would want to be a twin just because, like, those are... The comparisons will be drawn. Well, even if you have that, you, always, you have, like, a best friend for life. Yeah. And you'll, that you'll probably end up going to college with, that you'll go through you high think school you would want to do then, that then you also have like built-in competition not just for like piano or grades but then if you like go to high school and college together and you if you're identical and you look exactly alike mm -hmm. then how do you like so i think we must be on different wavelengths here because y'all seem to think competition between brothers is like I don't know, not very healthy for them. I think I'd disagree. I'd say that like No, I say I think competition is good. I just think um, that it would be annoying for me. Yeah, I think it'd be I don't annoying. think there's anything like wrong with competition. Mm -hmm. I just don't desire a twin or I never really thought about an older sibling. Really? But I was also like antisocial. So I felt like I in high school I was like, I don't need anyone. And my sister is only three years younger than me. And at this point, I mean, what's the difference in twenty nine and true like she has a kid too so like what's there's no difference in between us so i don't know i'd say i'd say people aren't necessarily anti and this is like just my bro psychology here but i'd say people aren't necessarily anti-social they just have a lot less people that they would socially connect with like i feel like if they what met the right person about me? does that say i'm weird or like socially awkward no i would I'm just saying, like, there are a lot less people that 
you would find interesting to hang out with and i i'm not saying that's a bad thing maybe that's a good thing right not really placing a value judgment there i'm just saying like i don't think you can be truly antisocial in the sense of the word that like you don't want to okay. hang out yes, with i'm anybody. not like and yeah yeah okay antisocial right. is is a is too strong a term but I don't know, something about college changed me, which is why thinking about, you know, in y'all situation, I can't help but feel like, you know, empathetic for how I would feel. The college social That's environment. Unknown. Well, yeah, I think college, like the social life in college is probably a lot different for you than it was for us now. Yeah. But you, why? Because y'all go to much bigger schools, or? I don't, I don't think it helped that, well, how big was your high school? My high school? Yeah. 400. It was a See, little bit bigger than St. Thomas, but not. It's a lot bigger. Significant. 400 it's people like in one a, of the smallest schools in town. It's still considered. Okay, 400 people in one class, you're like, total. No, no, the whole, oh. the 12. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, yeah, okay. See, See, but y'all made very, so, I mean, Rhodes is, it might be close to 2,000 students now. When I was there, it was like 1,600. There are high schools, three times that. So I went to a really small mm. college that kind of mirrored, but both of y'all chose very, very different environments from St. Thomas. Mm. Yeah, we went from a small school to knowing everyone to a large school knowing no one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that was... That's the big difference. Uh, well, I also think like, you know, social media and, you know, just kind of how, uh, and I guess things were still pretty clicky, like, you know, uh, throughout the history of college, I guess, but I'd say social media is a big part in like the social dynamic in college. Like if you're not active on like Instagram and Snapchat or Tinder, stuff like that, like, you're definitely behind Wait, you use, your peers. Like, you use Tinder on your college campus just to, like, meet people? Well, I, I personally don't, but I, I know people that definitely do, right, to meet, like, potential romantic or other uh, uh, interactions. Uh, Non-romantic interactions. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that definitely has, like social media has a much bigger role to play in, in uh, yeah. So it's like the norm. If you're on that big of a campus, it's just like a totally normal way of like pursuing friendships. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's not even like the big campus, uh, like a big campus thing. I'd say it's like just an overall like nationwide thing. Like, I feel like people are a lot less socially adventurous where they're not necessarily introducing themselves all the time they're not trying to meet new people just off of cold approaching people you know yeah, I would say that. like virtual school is is stunting that even more I think you're not even in a classroom with your own like high school classmates and it's just gonna get like more terrifying or like intimidating right I think people would think it's weird just say like for if you're just like in a class, I think, and if you were just like talking to like the person next to you that you, you've never met before, but like you're in the same class, you're sitting next to each other, so you start talking to them. Mm -hmm. I think that person that you're talking to 
would kind of think it's kind of weird that you're talking to them. And that goes for the same, like if you were like at the student union or like at uh, the cafeteria or the dining hall, if you, if you just like kind of sat next to someone and just like started like introducing yourself and talking to them, they would, they would think that's weird. Like that's unusual. See, that's, that, see, for me, that's just uncomfortable. I'm not good at doing that. But that's always been one of the things that I was like most fascinated by with my husband. Cause he's one of those people who is like sitting in a waiting room and will be friends with everyone by the time he leaves. Cause he'll just be like, Hey, and he like, doesn't think twice about it at all. There's like no self-consciousness, no whatever. And he's not like, right. this like ego, he's just like, talks to people and it's so genuine I guess like if it doesn't come off as genuine but I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with meeting people like on social media and stuff I just feel like it's such a valuable human thing to be able to talk to others yeah I feel like it's just like I've never been good at it so I think it's like fascinating and wish that I had that Mm. yeah and i think that goes off of man he just makes friends with the parents and i'm like hey i think that goes off of adam you're you're saying that like a lot of you pretty much your whole social life at asc was the mock trial team and i think that's kind of where that that barrier ends and that like whenever you do join like an organization or a group or like some club then like it's not weird that you guys are like talking to new people because like you guys are in, in that there's i guess like, like ground yeah i guess there's but you but kind of have like a common a ground in a class but there's yeah. still a difference between like a class and like a club and i guess i don't know that people are definitely more open to talking to you in more of a club setting than a class setting for some reason i don't know why though because like there's still a common ground in both settings Yes, but like when you're in a club, sometimes you're kind of forced to be forced to talk to people. Whereas when you're in a class, like you can go. I guess clubs more have like common ground and more like personal common ground because like whatever club you're joining, you obviously like that's that's not school per se. That's more like personal interest where like classes could just be like more. I just have to be here. Yeah. Why are you talking to me? Yeah, I think there's more like personal choice involved in a club or a sport or something i mean i guess classes you might be within the same major but i don't think people see that as this like great right right thing thing. maybe that's it maybe it's more like oh like you like you like sports too that's why we're both in this sports club that's cool um rather than like um (laughs) not say it that way (laughs) i really hope you don't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no no but you, that you know what i'm trying to say i i don't know i, I think i i disagree there i think like in a certain sense i can show up to pretty much all of my classes and like not have to talk to anyone like unless i'm forced to speak in class like i can just go the whole semester and not say a word but when you're in the context of a class, no i'm saying that's the norm right yeah but right, in a club but, you can't you're not doing that same thing that's not the same like you showed up volunteer, right you don't have to be there yeah class, right so. but I'm, I'm saying like the the factor that's making it more the club more social is the fact that you kind of have to collaborate through verbal interaction not necessarily the shared common interests and 
I don't know. It's very like, you know, I think it's caring, also but... the fact that clubs are also like run by students. So it's more like less yeah, formal, not, like, a leader professor. Like. Sure. There, there's a lot less like social awkwardness that goes into talking so, to someone within a club versus like a class, I guess. And I mean, I'm, saying... I'm, trying to, I'm like racking my brain to think of one, a friend from college that I just is like someone I met in class and I, I got nothing. How did you meet all your friends? I'm in classes with these people, but yeah, most of my friends from college. I mean, I sold out and was in a sorority, which like blew my parents and everyone's minds. Like that was just so not me at all. I'm anti-social. Like forced me to hang out with girls. Schooler to sorority. Yeah, like all girls didn't suck, so it forced me to like. I made my. See, I can't even say it without being like, oh god, this is just like so cheesy. But I mean, I, my four or my three roommates and I were all in the same sorority and we talk basically every day. Like we've had a running group text for almost 10 years. But, but that like gave us something in common that wasn't very, I don't know. I don't know. You lived like in the same house, right? Yeah, we could, you couldn't live in sorority houses because in Tennessee, a group of that many girls living together is considered a brothel. But we had an Hmm. apartment together. (laughs) Yeah. It's always like calling it what it is, but yes, we live together. But like even uh, even friends outside of that were through either the tennis team or like my husband's friends, because my sorority was like very close with his fraternity. Mm-hmm. God, all this stuff sounds so lame. Why? Why do you think it's lame? I mean, because now I'm like, like it did. It really did make a big difference for me. Like putting myself out there and realizing that all people don't suck and it's like okay to be social and have friends but um marta stop stop that's my dog not my child (laughs) (laughs) Um, but now it just sounds like i don't want to be that like 32 year old being like oh my glory days and we were doing keg stands at the pike house like oh god yeah. At the well, time, it's exactly what I needed to get me out of my shell and like have some fun and you know whatever. I was like peak me in those years, but now I'm just different peak me. Yeah, I didn't know you were in sorority. See, okay, that's good. It's not my identity, but yes, I was actually. This is even more embarrassing. I was the president of the panel and council my senior year, so I was the president of all the sororities. My senior year. Nice. on us. <laughs> Top dog. That's like. But that's just so dumb. so dumb. But it really like it. Yeah. yeah. I, don't I don't know. I feel like my attitude towards like Greek life is a lot different now than it was a year ago because I can definitely see how uh, socially beneficial they can be like in terms of meeting friends and stuff. Because it's pretty hard to meet friends. Like, if you're not in any clubs, you just go to class, right? You try to yeah, make I don't friends. Know. With... I don't know how you would make friends. With yeah. You just went to classes. And, and you, that was it. And, like, you can try to make friends with the people on your floor with the chance that, that they're going to be, like, sure you the people you actually want to hang out with for four years. Like, that's very unlikely. So yeah. I'd say, like, despite all the bad, like, shit that happens within Greek life, I think it's a pretty positive for a lot of people yeah Yeah. I mean on both sides I mean you know my husband 
his friends, like they all keep in touch. We talk to them. We like visit each other all the time. And now that some of them have kids, you know, like all of us, I mean, in Aspen, I think we had three different college friends come stay with us. And I think we're the only ones who married each other. Everyone else has moved on. But I mean, it's, it's nice to have those people built in who have like seen you in that situation, but also in adulthood. Mm. But it's also, Jonathan was like, so we were talking about some of the, you know, fraternity things that go on and how they used to take it so seriously and things, situations that were just like so stupid. And then we remembered that we paid dues. So he was like, I was paying money to be like yelled at and made to do push-ups. It's so freaking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I guess, you know, talking about social life, we have, you know, probably 10, 12 friends who have been our friends for 13, 14 years at this point who we're all just as close with. So he gave us that. See, anytime it comes out of my mouth, it just sounds cheesy. It's like hard to even talk about, but it did. I mean, I'll give it well, that. I think the like saying that Greek life is kind of paying for friends is pretty true. But I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it's literally not true. a bad thing, but yeah, you know, yeah, it was not a bad thing. There's there's definitely some bad things associated with it, but we were also at Rhodes. It's like not a big state school where all the like. Yeah. I mean, trust me, there was plenty of like gross drinking and whatever, but there's never like basement sessions of people telling you like how fat you were and uh, like no. That's okay. <laughs> in places, Yikes. but probably happens at my school like more than anywhere. I didn't say what I just yeah not at Rhodes for yeah. sure. I mean, like you, your all your private parties could be private for an hour, and then it opened up to the whole campus. Yeah. So like, it wasn't. Yeah. That. I mean, honestly, if I weren't in a club like mock trial, I pro honestly I'd probably consider rushing a frat. Really? Yeah, just like not because I'm a particularly big party person, but just for the friends and stuff, like. <laughs> Think it'd be necessary or else you're just kind of like i don't know you just meet random people that probably already have friends from their frats and their clubs and stuff so yeah it's kind of weird that college is like a pay-to-play environment in that way like you kind of have to pay dues at a organization to kind of make friends there and i think if i didn't have a adequate social life um I think I would just throw myself into school, honestly, and just like academically just try to crush it as hard as I could and probably like overload myself with classes. Yeah, well, tell me what y'all think of this. I mean, I don't think that's like actually feasible. Like, I think the idea that we can just focus entirely on classes and just like forget social life, forget like our health in some cases. I don't think that's actually possible. I think you'd be a lot more efficient having like a balance of those other things or else I think you just burn out, right? Yeah. You're doing I mean, nothing. But it's also like a well-rounded idea. Like if you only had one interest and that was school, then what do you do when school's no longer there? I just like, get bored. Work, but yeah, I mean, it, but there's definitely an area of your life you put forth the most effort. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but I'd say like 
whenever I've been the most efficient in, in school has been like where my social life also has been really good. And, you know, mm. my extracurriculars have been enjoyable. Like it's never, I've so never like felt fulfilled by everything. You felt like fully. Yeah. Like when I, when I felt like I was an adequate in an adequate place overall, I felt like I could, I was in like a mindset where I could do my schoolwork and it wouldn't be that bad. You know, I could like read, well, I guess I didn't read Frankenstein, but I could like do other, <laughs> I could do other things. Um, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Um, actually, this is kind of just really off topic. What percentage of students do you think actually reads, actually read uh, mm. the books that you assign? I mean, I approach it I, every year. I feel like, oh, why did I do it that way last year? So I approach it a little bit differently now. Mm -hmm. um, but just, I mean, I still like have to give reading. We don't have time to read all of something in class. I'd say 50. Half, and that's probably not that's probably not daily. I just mean like, you know, in a week if we meet three times, mm. there's probably like a day that someone didn't read. But in my speech yesterday, I was like, I didn't read every day of high school. You know, I was terrified. Do you want anything? Do you want anything? I'm, a, I'm okay. Thank you. Uh, no, I'm okay. Okay. Do you want anything for Chick Fil A? Yeah. 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 What do you want? Oh God, spicy chicken sandwich. Okay. Yeah, we, we're good. It's okay. Yeah, we don't want anything. But thank you. But thank you. Yeah, we're good. Thank you. Why you need to be able to edit your podcast. <laughs> no, but that that brings in the authenticity of it. Yeah. I think, okay. All right. I think this is why there's such a... Like, you know why, like, reality TV shows are, like, so successful? Why? It's because it has, it has that, like, realistic, it's not even realistic, but when you really, like, step back and look at it, but, like, it has that realistic, like, kind of feel to it, and that's why people watch, like, vlogs, that's why, like, people, like, read and write blogs, because, like, they want to kind of, I guess, be in, immersed in that life, almost? I don't know. I strongly disagree on the reality TV <laughs> point. I well, how so? I don't find any, I mean, none of them are, are authentic. Well, but it's anymore. unscripted, I guess. It's unscripted, but they, like, throw the stars in, like, particular situations to where, like, something entertaining would happen. Because, like, the most likely thing is that the Kardashians live pretty boring lives. Like, no one would want to watch their lives, like, on on TV, unless like the producers fabricated like little mini conflicts. Yeah, but like that moment where like her dog was growling and she was like, don't worry, that's not my kid, it's my dog. Like that was like a purely unscripted authentic I guess, but moment. I don't, where, I don't like, think people listening to this podcast are necessarily interested in like hearing I, I, their understand, dog I understand, I understand that. Okay, I have a question. Can we like talk, can we be meta or not meta? or break the fourth wall, whatever it's called. I don't yeah, know. Sure, talk whatever. about the fact that this is a podcast and talk about like who, because I know, didn't you start this for a class? Yeah, uh, so. So like who, who do you know? Like what kind of data do you get on who listens? Is it people you know, people you don't know? Like what's your. So I don't. You have a very official looking logo. Thank you. Um, 
I know where people are listening from. I know how many people listen a day. I don't exactly know who, um, unless so people like give me feedback. Houston, you can assume it might be people you know, but if it's like a random person in Kansas City, like. Right, I, I don't even know cities, I just know states. So like, uh, like I've seen people, like I had a person from Ireland and had a person, seriously? a couple from Canada. Yeah, from Canada. Obviously I don't know any people in those areas, yeah. So I don't particularly know who is listening, but I yeah. do, unless people give me feedback. Like Conrad yeah, Lee. Yeah, like do people ever. Like Conrad Lee, he he listens to like all of them and he like gives Conrad me. Conrad Lee, I forgot about Conrad. Oh my gosh, I was like, I know that name. He gives me. I didn't know I forgot about him. He gives me he thoughts on like hey, all his stuff and like huh. on, on each episode, he'll like give me some feedback and like if he enjoyed it or not and uh, honest- i can promise you conrad lee read frankenstein oh he- yeah probably yeah, probably yeah didn't know what he did it. <laughs> okay. he definitely read it well my my interest in books started i think the year after you taught <laughs> not that okay that sounded pretty bad uh it's just because uh mrs ernest schwartz sure. assigned brave new world and after i read that i was like hmm. See, but I taught Maybe. that to seniors at, at St. Thomas, so there, there's there's some good stuff out there. Well, uh, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, after I read that, I kind of sat back and thought, you know, maybe there's actually, like, you can, there's a benefit to reading some of these books that mm-hmm. I've kind of skipped out on. So, anyway, what were, what, what were we talking about? Um, so, yeah, I started the podcast for a class, mm-hmm. for my English class, first semester English class in, in, at UConn um, as like my final project uh-huh. um, and I did it with Mrs. Ernest actually that was the, the episode that I did for my final project and um, I really enjoyed it I've always really kind of wanted to do it mm-hmm. my own podcast so I was like well like I already did one episode why not just keep it going so I just kept it going and it was it was over Christmas break um, so I was like I didn't really have much to do so I was like why not like make a new hobby for myself so that's kind of how it started tell them what the most viewed podcast is doing Go ahead i think i think it's got to be you and alex halsey um actually that's the one that i like yes, listen she listened to, to it. yeah i think i got half of it on my drive but yeah. I, I can't remember why i knew about it like what made me choose that one probably because adam was on it who knows? Maybe I suggested it. I don't read know. all the books for my class, so I felt like I needed to listen to his what he put my out. Analysis. To listen to what I put into the world. Wait. Okay. So actually, I think I did read Paradise Lost, and I'm pretty sure I liked that one. Was she even here for Paradise Lost? Though? Yeah. She taught See, but Paradise I can't Lost. remember. I taught eleventh and twelfth, like twelfth grade, so I can't remember what I taught in which class. So I remember yeah. Paradise Lost. Uh, Frankenstein was being taught. Um, Great expectations. Great expectations, and I've tried that. That book is. That's not. There's too, there's too much emotion in that one. I think for you, not as um, not I not enough. Like I disagree. I think it's. Just, I could see. I could see like the drama. Like I could see Aaron appreciating or Adam. I feel like Brave New World is totally like the bigger philosophical questions of like. Are you an think- alpha? i think it's more of the cultural difference because i mean he goes into a lot of detail about like him going to little english plays and you know 
being like a, a blacksmith and all that stuff like are you talking about dickens for, for, yeah yeah for like, oh, great, you're talking about Huxley. i was like no, no 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 yeah so but see like dickens it's it's yes like the you have to just buy into like the drama of it and it's the writing it's the fact that he can immerse you and yes he like hits you over the head with this is a symbol and here's a symbol watch out this is a symbol but like people used to people didn't have tv or reality tv or podcast like that was their drama they would cry and read dickens and it was just like this immersive thing i know you're oh great. but like that was that was it right like if you're sitting around in your house and all you have are books that stuff is going to be like as valuable to you as the kardashians drama yeah, you're telling me you can't like see where like pip is coming from i can see where position. pip is coming from but i just feel like especially from his story is very drawn out like but it's his, a 700 page book that could yeah but condensed. his personality i feel like doesn't doesn't isn't isn't the type of personality that you i don't know maybe you're simple. well i think his story and now we're just kind of going off the deep end here but i think his story <laughs> is like a fundamental it's almost like an archetypal storyline that every young man goes through where like he he meets like a girl that he gets obsessed with she doesn't like him back but isn't it the of, name is estella she's the star she's the light she's anyways right that's that's what i'm saying like and i feel like uh, you know uh and pip i haven't i'm like a few hundred pages into it but like pip obviously grows out of that right becomes a mm -hmm. better man right outside of that obsession and i feel like a lot of guys can relate to that and that's what makes it so great but but what i'm saying is what makes it not so great for some people is the fact that the cultural difference is so great like the fact that we learn so much about a family that we don't necessarily care about like what, what was the family's name it was like uh but part of it is also like what is like the art of the of the writing, like the craft. The, the ability to evoke those emotions from you, like don't you? Isn't that like? I'd say Pickens or, or Dickens could have done a little bit better job. Say that. <laughs> okay. Well, he was he was also paid. I can't remember if it's by the word or by the page. Yeah, it, so was, it was. It was supposed to maybe was a little less. So I think bigger. yeah, when you're paid by the page, I didn't don't it, think. Didn't like, it come out in like a series form? Yeah, yeah, that's why every chapter like yeah. there's a couple chapters ends in a cliffhanger. And I just uh, don't think like that's that sort of like incentive to write necessarily produces like the best product. Like I feel like if you wanted to write great expectations in the way that like would. Uh, kind of bring to light this message or this moral I feel like he could have done a way better job if he didn't have like this incentive to okay. write as much as possible but sometimes incentive is okay but I don't and think players are paid money to entertain people but I don't think the incentive aligns here incentive to... they love football or because they love money well I'm saying like the incentive doesn't align here with quality necessarily it just aligns with having a like a longer book like a bigger product you know what I mean but it, okay I could see where you're coming from Adam yeah but part of it is just like like immersing like, yourself in it and just like being sure. in it. like it's an escape as well sure. but I mean think of it this way like imagine uh, a musician is 
like and that's kind of what's happening now right like artists kind of get paid by as by how many streams they get and the more content they produce like the more money they get so a lot of you know artists now will produce like like 20 track albums 25 track albums but they'll be a lot worse than some of the shorter albums that have like a lot more of a focused approach so i think that's kind of what's happening here as well Well, that's just my two cents so yeah adam just doesn't like piv (laughs) adam just doesn't like piv i think no i think pip is fine you you just wish he was more of an alpha man (laughs) i mean i don't think there's nothing extraordinary about pip i think he just represents like the average young man yeah so that's fair enough, but <sighs> yeah, I think okay. Dickens was an artist. Wow, true artist, and but that's you why to... you're the teacher. That is why I'm the teacher. But I, but see, at least you guys like remember something. Well, I, I've tried to go back and read it recently, and honestly, I just stopped like about halfway see, through. But I also think that. It's totally like to not enjoy all classics is normal. Like no, no one is like, oh yeah, I love all the classics. I only read classics. Like that's crap. Like yeah. there are some that you just can't, no matter what you do, get into, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. fine. But I think like it's just again my opinion. I think if teachers really wanted to like maximize the amount of reading students actually do then it would probably be a better idea to pick like more culturally relevant books. So not culturally relevant, but culturally similar. Like I was- so I'm gonna, second semester, um, my, uh, well, my AP class is reading Tony Morrison, but my college prep class is reading Little Fires Everywhere, which is, I'm not gonna say the most literary book I've ever assigned, but, there are there's a lot of like current social commentary mm. in there and then last quarter we're going to read americana which i think is both literary and socially relevant so see i'm evolving not just assigning yeah. dante every semester okay yeah i'm not dante is good though dante dante if dante wasn't like so dante, what if it, if it wasn't considered, like, so important by, like, these classics nerds, then I, I don't see anyone reading it at all. Uh, like, it's important for history. You can basically learn the entire history, history of time by reading it. I mean, you have to understand it. But I don't, I don't remember any of the You don't think it's cool from. how he's, like, going through these, like, different levels of, like, hell and, like, every, like... All these interactions so that it's happen kind of just like, like all the ways that people it's are just literary are, torture porn for you man. i mean that's basically <laughs> what you're saying isn't it but like the way how those punishments in each level of hell correspond to like whatever sin they committed yeah. like I mean, isn't that maybe that's cool but i think like and all it all comes back to frankenstein because the there's an illusion in frankenstein <laughs> where they're in the arctic and he's like at his moment of most evil and which way am I gonna go? And he's middle he's in the middle of ice and she says it's like 
a situation so desolate, not even Dante could do it justice. And if you look in circle nine, or yeah, in circle nine of hell, there is Satan in a lake of ice. It's Dang. the same, like. The reference there. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, but, isn't that cool though? You gotta know your stuff. It's cool, it's inner, okay. But it's Inverted not like. Entertaining. Yeah. What did you call it, torture porn? Well, that's, I mean, Aaron was like, oh, it's so cool hearing him describe how people are tortured. It kind like, of is, though. It's way more interesting <sighs> than... Is it more interesting than, like... Than pretty, so... Because those I are, like, agree. the boring people because they I just, agree. like, live good lives or yeah. he's, like, looking up to them in politics. It's the okay, ones that he doesn't like that are way more interesting. Even if... Okay, so I agree that there are... Even if I agree that there are, like, pretty good classics out there. I think sometimes... You're willing to admit that there are some good classics. Well, no, like, I, I, I definitely think there are, like, you know, um, I mean, I, I could name a few. I don't think that's necessary. But if we if we had uh, teachers Name a few. The, yeah. The Count of the count of Monte Cristo yeah, is that was probably a very one good of the best one. books I've read. I agree. Okay. That's a very um, good one. Uh, the Brothers Karamazov. I, I mean, it was kind of... Yeah, I didn't really enjoy that one. It's pretty bulky, but I liked it. Um, Anna Karenina was kind of a drag in some parts, but I feel like overall it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, the great expectations just doesn't really do it for me. That's fine though. As she said earlier, you don't have to like all of them. No, you don't have to like but all it, of them. But it seems like- If you like all of them, you're lying. But, but it seems like I was taught- <laughs> To like, like all of them? No, 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 no. I, but I feel like we're selecting the wrong classics in school. Like we're being taught tests of, tests of the Dubervilles. That was kind of cool though. What? We're I I feel like Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sense and Sensibility are the same book. Like you can't convince me that they're not. He kind of rewrites the same story over and over. But she's she's like funny and I don't know. I liked Sense and Sensibility. <sighs> All right. Well, I didn't love it, but I liked it. <laughs> look, man. I just I just don't think that like if we're really. Look, man. No, no, but sure, we might like it, but imagine just the average, like, high school male. Like, are they really, if you, if you. And that's why we have Dante. If you put sense and sens sensibility yeah. in front of them, are they really going to counter Counter a novel of manners with torture porn. And yeah. then everyone. That's why we add Dante. That's why we add Count of Monte Cristo's, like, this adventurous, like, mysterious man, the Count, and, like. Dorian Gray's short and okay, sweet. that book that book was good. Yeah, I like that book. but I feel like it's if, not all just pure like romance, emotion, so yeah, tragedy. I, I guess another hot take that I'm gonna spill out here. I think we should assign different books for the different genders. Like, I don't think I don't think dudes should be forced okay, to well, sense and sensibility. So I I think yes, but I also think that that's not always. The case. So I have what I have tried before is to do like basically book clubs where I choose like five books, and it could be those. Like I put so I did this with tenth graders, and I had Brave New World, um, The Kite Runner, Pride and Prejudice. Um, I like mix like Kite Runner is not as difficult, but I tried to mix like classics for the students who wanted to push themselves or other books that still are like relevant, but maybe not as difficult to read on their own and they could choose. So they basically had a class where they could read a little description, flip through the book, you know, they're all about the same length. I think one of them was the glass castle. Um, and then they got to choose and yes, most of the groups, like I don't think I had any boys reading Pride and Prejudice and I had 
you know, the girls who did read Brave New World as 10th graders were a little horrified. But I think you're right, but maybe not gendered, maybe just by choice. If it genders sure. itself, I fine. could see that. I could see it. Like if it genders itself, then great. Go with your girlfriends reading Pride and Prejudice. But if there's like the one dude in the class who like wants to read it. That's fine. I mean, that, yeah. So yes, I agree. More choice. It's just very like that. That's very, students have to be super self-motivated for me to teach that because then I was yeah. just teaching like the reading mm -hmm. or no, I was teaching the reader, not the reading. Right. Yeah. Which it can be done. I feel like that's how it should be done, but it's very difficult. Um, and it just has to be like the right group of students. I guess you don't like romantic movies then, Adam. Well, I'm, my, my point is that I think in order for teachers to be effective, I think they have to like cut their losses in a sense that they have to assign books that will actually be read by yeah, students. I get like, what you you're can, saying. Or like, just be, or read in class. I mean, I would never teach a play and be like, go home and read act one. That'd be that, especially if it's Shakespeare. No way. Yeah, well, but I mean, yes, you, you do have to cut your losses. I mean, small victories. You can't, like, I'm sure if you, you could assign, like, the best, like, lineup, literary lineup for your students, but well, chances but are they're not. I like them, so, yeah. you know, clearly, Aaron and I seem to be more aligned in our literary tastes, so... Aaron would be happy in my class and you would be writing research papers about Kanye West. <laughs> no, I think you wrote a research paper and then you used Kanye West as like the final quote of that paper or something. Yeah. I can't remember which class I taught what, but I remember that. Yeah. I mean, not to, I mean, we, yeah, uh, that research paper was, I think it was pretty like, I don't know why it was so controversial. I think it was pretty, I don't even remember what it was about. Honestly. It was, was it about prenups. It was about yeah, prenuptial agreements. Oh, and the I fact did. that if that you're a high-income earning individual, you should probably get a prenuptial agreement. I remember that now. So, yeah. I think you had a good stance on it. And apparently, people just lost their minds. Like, <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's just because I think it was just coming from from you. Coming from me. Well, straight white man. It, I was going to say, I think that your, your situation worked against you and, you know, your tone might have been a little bit harsh and gendered. <laughs> I, I disagree, I think. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But yeah, I watched As Good As It Gets um, with Jack Nicholson the other day. Mm -hmm. Quality quality film i it's been a long time there was some other movie that i don't know i'm really oh you know what i did watch recently um the what's it called the king of staten island Is that what it's oh with um whatever that guy's name from yeah. snl yeah i like him that's pretty good was it okay i have to I have to give it a look they're also coming out with a maybe it's a hulu series of uh of brave new world Oh, yeah, I think I saw that. Um, but I, I definitely agree with Adam with the whole, like, reading thing, where, like, I think, I don't know, I wasn't a, the biggest fan of, like, reading in high school, but once I got into college, I definitely, like, started to read on my own for my own enjoyment. So I don't know why, if that's a coincidence or if that's just, like, a... Before you're mature enough? 
Like, maybe I, I do it's a maturity thing or just like maybe we're just trying to because like in order to read some of the classics I think you have to take on a bit of discomfort or like mm-hmm. kind of boredom through some of them but I feel like if because I feel like I've learned the most doing my own outside reading like yes and and if teachers kind of prioritize just getting kids to read it all I feel like that would like if even if it was simple stuff, yeah, super easy. Like yeah, I, I used to, in in Aspen the first twenty minutes of class were just like silent reading. You could read whatever you wanted, but I could never tell. Like of course students yeah, did right. because they weren't doing schoolwork; they were just reading. But I don't know. It's hard to get like feedback on that on whether or not they felt like that was valuable for them as readers because they would just say yes so that they could still do it and like get out of 20 minutes of class I don't know. if, if i were be the case like if you were a reader already then you'd be more open to reading yeah i think Logical. if i were like an english teacher i i would try to almost build up a trust with my students like i'd try to give them something that's easy and accessible and fun to read and interesting mm-hmm. um and then just kind of like what build is up, that? kind of trick them. Maybe like a sh- like you. a short story or something. Like something that's pretty, you know, intense, interesting, mm-hmm. and then kind of build up the volume of pages there. And then once you've got them reading like past twenty pages consistently, um, like throw maybe like a Brave New World their way, and they'll trust you that it's a good book to read, mm-hmm. and they'll probably be more willing to read it. Whereas if you just throw, the, I could see where you're. If you throw from. the crucible, you have to like build it. You can't just like start sure. with. You can't yeah. start with the crucible because you, if you start with the crucible, I, or the on, such a, that was a letter. That was. It's just McCarthyism. It's like everyone's a commie. You right, think we but, care about commies? But but even like. Well, but now like everyone's a I don't know. But like just from a a student observing like the crucible having not read it right <clears throat> they're probably not going to be willing to even try it knowing like the time period it came from the subject matter like yeah it's about like the salem witch trials right i don't think yeah but it's not it's really about mccarthyism right but the, but so what i'm afraid of going of like being taken down as a communist that he just pretended and he wrote it about salem witch so it looked it looked like safe Right, but it's really about how like so okay, but if you were given the context, would you give it a chance versus just being like read this about Salem and in in high school probably not, honestly. Because I don't know if I had really cared that much about like McCarthyism. However, if I was but I think the thing you have to sell to students is that it's actually interesting to read in itself. Like sure you can without the bigger picture. Yeah, without like having this that's why that's why literature like becomes literature because it's it's not like it's 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 timeless it can be it can exist alone as like a piece of writing and you can appreciate the writing and the themes or whatever but it should also be like applicable yeah but not only applicable but like you want the if students aren't convinced that the process of reading itself if they're not convinced that it's fun or interesting or enlightening in some way. Like if they're not convinced of that, like good luck trying to convince like more than 
four or five of your students to actually read all the books that you assign, in my opinion. I agree with you, Adam. Yeah. And whether and that's... You know, I would like to say my lofty goal is to not to make students love what I teach, but to make them like better readers, better writers. Better readers as in like more, more willing readers. Hmm. People who read things. But even like, I think reader, like avid readers, like they can only take so much like boredom or like hard to get through books for like that message at the end of the yeah, but if tunnel, a book, right? If a book is like hard to get to through as in like you don't enjoy it, then I'm like totally contradicting what I do as a, for a living. You should be able to put it down. Like War and Peace, no, I'm so bored. I just like put it down and that's fine. Like even the most avid readers- get out of suffering through it. Yeah, like even the most avid readers can, like they can only get through like, so many Anna Karenina's and like, you know, crime and punishments so and- So good, just throw yourself in front of a train. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, it, 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 yeah, like you should, there's just a self-discipline involved in it. And if you think about too, like I am not that far removed from your generation, but if we're talking about like electronics and now school is online on a screen and stuff, part of, I feel like people's unwillingness or like lack of wanting to read or even is because you have to sit there still with something you have to be, you can't multitask. You can't, mm. it's so concentrated that all of us, you know, have some level of ADD and everyone's like, oh, I just can't do it too right. much like i don't want to sit still and be quiet for 30 minutes mm -hmm. and that's why there's i think it's many, like there's too yeah. much stimulation yeah. and i think I that's sound old like oh you kids in your phones <laughs> but, i mean i do the same thing just you know i listen to audiobooks now i think that's why it's like so much more important nowadays to convince students that reading is actually enjoyable in itself Cause they're like, I can spend hours just on like Instagram or like YouTube or TikTok, just like pissing time away, right? But it's kind of hard to spend that much time reading. So like, yeah, unless, you, unless you really love the book, yeah. If I'm yeah, but it's all on how you train yourself. Again, going back to Dickens, you're like, why am I reading this? I'm so bored. But when that's all you have, when you are like in Dickens' world then you're going to be immersed in it. It's just like what your, what your brain and what's not society, but like what you are, like how you grow up being stimulated. So like we all have TV, we have computers, we have devices. So books just seem like antiquated and boring because they're not nearly as stimulating. So it just takes like some self-discipline and training your brain to work a different way and concentrate on one thing. So it's just like not, and by the time you get to high school, your habits, that's just not how it works. So but, but I think oh, that, I'm just like fighting against myself. But I think like in my I experience, myself out of a job. Yeah. In my experience, though, teachers just don't really do enough of that. Like, I don't think teachers do enough of saying like why I should care about a certain text or like why ninth graders that are you know playing sports and they have phones now and they're doing their own thing like why should they care mm -hmm. about reading the picture of dorian gray when they can just read a spark notes version and get a good grade like 
you know, yeah. I've, I think that side of teaching is severely lacking in my yeah, opinion. I agree. It's also the hardest part of it. Like yeah. getting buy-in and explaining why something is like, it's very hard. I learned a long time ago not to teach the things I love the most. I do do Frankenstein, but because I get so excited and so into it and it just like personally hurts me when people are like, oh, like there's one thing to read it and have an opinion about it. That is fine. But to not read it and just be like, I hate this. I'm not doing that. It just like, it just doesn't hurt doesn't, my heart. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, just keep it real. I, I don't think I read like, don't don't hurt her spare her well i'm just being honest like i mean it's also you know i don't think all my students read so i'd say and this is i told you conrad if you're listening i know you read (laughs) i mean i would i'd venture to say that only 20 percent read the book in its entirety okay but on it on a how many students like because i'm saying 50 percent is in not in its entirety but will like try to get some reading done. For instance, I gave you reading that. yesterday and I got like hundreds and zeros basically. So it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Do you think those zeros, at least for the next class where they're like writing on this? Well, I think I gave them in the zero in the grade book will at least read some, even if they fall off again. That's where I'm getting 50%. 50% have at least. I'll say 50% either read the book in its entirety or read spark notes or straight up cheat yeah and the rest just don't readers, like giving a pop quiz pop reading quiz it's um it's not my favorite students are quickly emerging the one who emailed me yesterday and was like i'm not gonna lie i didn't read i'm not even gonna waste your time with stupid answers like i'll take the, <laughs> i'll take the l on this one and i like emailed him back and i almost wanted to give him credit for the quiz because i wanted to say you're the only virtual student who hasn't sent me a spark notes like paraphrase answer for this quiz so almost for like being the one who didn't cheat you should give him a 50. i like but then i'm afraid like i don't know him that well and then he'll tell people and then like i don't know like it's so creepy being like it has to be our secret but like, it would for it to like truly <laughs> but I, wa- I wanted to be like those people i feel like students don't necessarily understand and maybe it's not for every teacher i like that kid so much more than some of the ones who just like who cheat and just like to my face like oh yeah I read I loved that part blah 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 and like you just looked at spark notes well I'd say that's a pretty large <laughs> portion of the class more than I think more than half oh yeah, yeah. like if I'd say if if a majority of the class did well on a test I'd say that's because they read spark notes like I, I also don't give tests anymore mm. oh how, how does how does that work? Do you do like essays or? And I don't tell them what it's about, and you know. Well, because you you are trying to just also teach them just good writing. You know, it's just not yeah, it's the not content it's not of the book. It's right, helpful. exactly, and it's like I mean, for instance, like my AP class, a lot of what you know to not just get ready for the AP exam, but what it teaches you is to like take an excerpt 
and make sense of it, but appreciate the writing for the writing, like the art of it. For instance, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Like you have A Tale of Two Cities and my best friend Dickens, the writing of that is just as impressive as like the, the story, you know, like the fact that he can make the first paragraph so like all encompassing of a time and poetic, but he's still in prose. Like, yes, I'm trying to get them to appreciate that they couldn't write like that. Maybe, no. You know, like, not just the story. It's yeah. not just about the story. If I can get them to buy into the story, maybe they'll read more. But yeah, it's like the writing, the way that the words are put on a page. Like, and again, I guess Dickens goes against that because he was paid for length. But fiction, and the shorter fiction gets, every single word has a specific purpose and meaning. And it takes people years to write this because they're looking for mm -hmm. that one word and that's what makes it impressive but again like to get high schoolers to buy into that and like it's just not really cool to walk into class and be like man i love reading poetry it's so beautiful adam would you say you've at some instance in your life you've read a book a novel or just even a chapter just a section and you're like wow that was like really like artistic that's like a true art form like what he just did there or what she just did there like you're talking about the writing itself. the writing itself like that the way you worded that the way you that author was able to write it in a way where like so much emotion and imagery was evoked that you were like wow that was crazy so has that ever happened to you i'll just say i'm not a fan of like long expositions about like the background and the scenery and all that stuff. Like I prefer to just like express your point in a clear, concise way. Like, would don't... That, but that's how those, that's how the best writers write is like, they don't draw it, they like, they don't draw it out. It's like clear and concise. They don't add too much or too little. There are some they people that like, out. that seem to like when people spend pages on the trees and the hills. And I just think But whenever you do that, you can, you're like even more immersed in it like no, you I were just, like actually okay. there so, so so but there's a purpose to it so the romantic yeah. but the romantic movement so romanticism is a is a um reaction to the enlightenment so the enlightenment is all about like science and progress and industry and we're going to build cities and everyone like fact 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 and reason and the romantics are like wait a second this is like making us sick we're all just part of the rat race, everyone's a robot. And so what's wrong with going out on a hike and just like looking at a tree for a tree and taking a minute? It's like, you know, self-care in the whatever hundreds. And so the purpose of some of those, like, you know, uh, what's his face, like Wordsworth writing about daffodils or like clouds and stuff. It's not just to be like silly romantic with the lowercase r, it's like, we've lost our creativity. We've lost our appreciation of small things and like quiet and simplicity. And so it's trying to like put you in the moment if you just like give into it and read, you know, so I'm saying, I, I see your face. It's, it's for a purpose. It's not just let me write eight pages about what the woods yeah. look like today. It's like doing what it's creeping. So it's like immerse yourself for a minute. Eight pages just went by. You're just like, you're in nature with me now. You know, it's hard to argue that nature is not restorative or like calming. And so like appreciate it for a minute before you go back to your rat race of like 
whatever it is. I you're you're laughing, but there's a purpose. Well, you don't have to like I, it. No, no. I, so I actually don't disagree with you in the sense that I think description. <laughs> your, your your way of agreeing is so backhanded. I actually <laughs> don't disagree with you. So you're saying you agree with me. Look, I'm this right. is this is this is the college. <laughs> what you just said. The college just effect the effect that college has had on me just being super like that sounds like a mock trial i actually don't disagree with you anyways but no i mean i agree that there is a place for description and i think it well written description can be really it can make or break a book in my opinion but i just think there are some writers that just take it over the top like i think there's a certain there's a lot there's like a continuum where description just becomes kind of boring and it doesn't really help and it just kind of honestly takes you out of the action for so long that you just want to skip it and me personally i don't have like this vivid imagination where i can imagine the trees being a certain shade but that's like, why he's adding all that description no yeah, but i'm saying but, no no, no but I, what i'm saying back that way what i'm saying is whenever i read that i don't have like the like this amazing ability to just imagine all of that. And when I do, it kind of takes a lot of mental work, honestly. And maybe I'm just stupid, but like... No, but that's that's the point. That's the good part but, of it. It makes you like work hard or it makes you really think hard or really focus on just immersing yourself in what you're reading and not like what's going on in the world around you. It's trying to it's, like... Yeah, it's really you. an escape. But I, I... So, but I think there's a certain line to that and i just think a lot of writers overdo it i think certain details are a lot more important than others and i think certain details that you bring up like do a lot more I, for the story I and even if, you can argue that in prose or like sure. longer prose but like short stories i don't think you can make that argument everything's there for a reason but yes sure. so like 900 pages of whatever right like i don't I'm not particularly interested in like, you know, the shade of the hills and the grass and, you know, how fast it's flowing and whatnot. And there but is there probably some people who are. Sure. And sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying like, I'm not one of those people. And I just think a lot of people would probably agree with me, especially in this time of such short attention spans. And, you know, I think if we really want to reach students more, we should probably trend more towards books that emphasize concise effective description rather than like this sort of escapist like drawn out description i don't know if there's a difference between those two though because like sure the escapist whatever you want to call it are like they're not writing unnecessarily i think everything they do write i'm not not saying it i'm not saying it's unnecessary i'm saying that to the reader i mean they it might be necessary in some like symbolic sense to where it expresses the mood or whatever of the particular plot point. Um, but I just don't think readers enjoy that. That's well, I mean, here's, but here's what it comes down to. There are two of you. And so I'm sitting in a classroom or teachers, not just me, are sitting in a classroom where there's 30 of you all of a sudden. So if you two have such you know, different tastes and you have your own individual taste, all of a sudden there are 30 out there. And that's like the, the hardest part of any teacher's job is like, how do you, how do you make everyone happy? Or how do you like, everyone's motivations and tastes are so different and backgrounds and whatever opinions, how do you find something that 
interest everyone. I mean, maybe, you don't. Maybe that's like. What's the perfect a, book? A fatal flaw in trying to like teach literature that you just can't really. There's no way yeah. to actually. Well, I mean, that's why I've been. You know, I've had to focus. I've realized it's more valuable to focus on the reader. What are your reading? strategies what do you do when something's really hard or really boring or like how do you figure it out on your own versus teaching the reading like here are the symbols and here this and that like that will come from you reading it but the important thing is here like how do i teach you as individuals to find what you like and stick with what you like or explore that or if you get to that boring situation what do you do kind of thing but i mean so yeah maybe like if there was some sort of way we could not we, but teachers could like tailor their reading, I guess, um, what you call it lists for each student. Like I'm sure if you got to know each student on a personal level, like understood their life experience, like, like if, if you got to know Aaron, you'd probably recommend great expectations just based on <laughs> his life experience. And I'm not going to go into that, but like, and if you probably, if you knew me on a personal level before you assigned books, you'd probably, I don't know, recommend, I don't know, like Brave New World or something that, that was more like in line with what my tastes would be. Like, I feel like. Well, but see, it's not, it's not. I also think that that's also just like, what's that saying about like giving people fish and teaching them to fish? That would just be like someone giving you, I think that as high schoolers, it's, it would, it would be your job to figure that out and then come to me with that information. Like, mm -hmm. and so if I expose you to all of these things and you give it mm -hmm. all a chance, then you can figure out, I hated that. I liked this. This seems to be my taste. And then you move forward with reading things that are more in your taste or more things that you would actually read. But I think it's more valuable for you to come up with that versus me give you that. I think but it's I, my job to expose you to everything because you're probably not going to be self-motivated as a high schooler to like go out and try all these different types of literature and you're there you might as well try well I wouldn't say taste is necessarily something that you find out about like once you've read a lot of books I think it's what I mean by taste is more just life experience yeah and if you picked books that were kind of centered around people's life experience, I feel like they would be a lot more. Because you can relate to it. Right. And you're like, gonna like stuff that you can relate right. to. Right, like I, I, I was watching uh, the Michael Jordan documentary, it was like uh, The Last yeah, Dance yeah. or whatever. <clears throat> and, I, I, and I heard, um, you know, some of the Bulls players saying like, uh, what's his name? Phil Jackson, the coach, would go around and to get to know his players better, he'd like learn about their life experience and then to sort of help them develop as people, he would give them books that he thought they could relate to mm -hmm. um, and, they, and that he thought they would like. And that wasn't based on any like previous literature experience. That was just based on his knowledge of their personality and their life experience at that point. So I, I think, care. yeah, so I think that would be an adequate way of assigning books, in my opinion. But what do I do like the first semester while I'm figuring that out? Mm -hmm. Like That's I a great question. All these, especially at a you know a new school, mm -hmm. they're all strangers to me. Yeah, well, I and guess. I, I mean, I have you know six or seven students I have never met in person and might not. <clears throat> that sounds like a you problem. 
Thanks. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is pretty like a radical shift from yeah. how things usually go, but maybe just spend the first couple weeks getting to know your students through whatever yeah. way possible. Like I tried. We just, we, I had them all write a college admissions essay and we like did one-on-one con -on -one conferences where we talked about like, what kind of school do you want to go to or do you want to go to college? And I don't know. I tried a little bit. Well, even stuff like just have them write about their life experience, like yeah. maybe some short fiction about themselves or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's not our job to worry about. Yeah, it's not my job. <laughs> uh oh. Still the students. Yeah. But Adam, I want you to answer the the question that I had put originally of like did have you ever had that moment in any instance of reading? Where you're like, whoa, that was. Well, where Aaron, I was amazed by the. Aaron, line. have you? I have. I had it in one book, um, and I think that's really what spurred me wanting to read more. Which it's, book? it's a it's a book called The Severe Mercy, um, and I actually have it here. Um, but it the the way that just the imagery and the emotion that it, that it evoked from me was more than what I could get out of a movie, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. And being like, just even like all those small details, like I felt like I was actually there, like mm -hmm. experiencing all that stuff. And it was like, I was like, whoa, like just honestly, the amount of emotion that it evoked for me was like the first time that literature has really like evoked that mm -hmm. much emotion. Where I was like, whoa, I didn't even know this was like possible. Yeah, so I guess to answer your question, there have been times that I just thought a book overall was pretty well written. Like I thought the way the, the details were described and the way the characters were laid out, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, one instance of that, as a matter of fact, was the book Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Um, I mean, the way he wrote was very relatable, uh, very, um, I don't know, I just felt like I was him for those 500 pages. Um, but honestly, I've been more, I'm more, I've noticed more when books are badly written, in my opinion. Like they just go on and on about. Badly written or boring for you? I guess boring for me would be the proper term there. But like Anna Karenina, for example, goes on a long, sort of adventure about uh, Levin's experience farming. And that goes on for a while. And honestly, I didn't care for it at all. Um, so I really noticed that. Um, but in terms of writing, I think I've noticed more quotables than actual like structural things about the writing. Like for instance, in The Count of Monte Cristo, one of the bankers says something like, when in doubt, don't. And I feel like that's one of the best pieces of advice that I I've ever gotten like in my life mm, yeah so yeah okay but okay shifting what okay you you played <laughs> basketball we played basketball together we like to watch basketball blah blah blah, right. blah. whenever you watch the nba like a mm -hmm. solid game you watch these highly skilled players mm -hmm. do things that you and i both cannot do right do you, do you ever like sit back and like whoa what just happened there was truly like amazing and like a yeah, true art course. form uh and well, I think 
I've never sat back and consciously acknowledged that, but I think the true sign of when that does happen is when I don't even think about it. And I'm just so like engrossed in this book that like, I just flip through it. And I understand all the characters. I'm enjoying the plot. Like I understand the symbolism. So to answer your question, yes, that's happened, but not. But not in a book. Well, no, no, no not in a way that I was aware of okay. that I stepped back and thought, wow, this is really good. Interesting. But I've thought the other way where I stepped back and thought, wow, this is like boring as shit. So. Okay. Yeah. Fair. I'm trying to think. I was. I think both of your homework should be to to read or attempt to read. Still getting assigned homework. You can. You can. You can stop if you don't enjoy it. (laughs) Try Americana. Americana. Is it long? I get scared if the book is like over three hundred pages. Yeah. But about that, um, I think I ordered the one that I had, I think I accidentally ordered like the big text for old people. So mine was probably way longer than it actually is because the words were huge. Um, and I felt like I was reading a children's book, but it's Chimamanda Adichie. She's and you, and you think about coming to college in America. So it's like pretty recent, but it's, it's, it's literary. Like she is a, she is a brilliant like the writing is solid. Yes. Like and the you, writing and the material, like connecting to the story and the material. And as Adam said, knowing both of us and knowing like our background and our personalities, you would say that we would most likely like it. Yeah, I think that um, not to totally simplify your personalities, but I think that Aaron will connect with the fact that she like she and her boyfriend leave Nigeria together and he ends up staying in in England and she comes to the United States and the whole book is kind of like they're back and forth so it's like trying to figure it out so there's that like human connection piece and then on the other side of it she um, is trying to like figure out who she is in it as an individual and like how she sees herself. And part of it is like trying to figure out what it means to be black in America, but not African American, but it's bigger than that. Like none of us are those things. Um, but I feel like that bigger figuring out of like, how do I see the world and how do I want to see me? Um, I mean, is where I feel like it'll get Adam, but I don't know because I see that in Aaron as well, but I'm just like, there's there's some there's some bro stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I'm simplifying it a lot, but I feel like Ad, or Aaron will be more open to the storyline and the philosophy of it. And Adam, you just got to like go with the story and see what happens. I'll, I'll have to do. I'll I have to take a look at it. I have to get it. I'll do it. Good. It's scary because I've never, I read it once and I loved it so much. And now I've decided to teach it and I've never taught it before. And it's not very old. So there's not like a ton of stuff out on there and teaching it. So I'm, I'm picturing it as a like full senior class book club. It'll probably crash and burn, but. Aaron, I think you should read The Stranger. Okay. I think it's just a solid book overall. And it's it like, like less than a hundred pages, I think. Okay. You have it? You have a copy? Back at home? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. So. Okay, you could give it to me tomorrow then. Yeah. But yeah, okay. 
you have to if i'm going to try americana then you have to try a severe mercy okay, okay. so we're recommending books here hold up yeah hold on one book already, though yeah. from each one person book. one book limit for now yeah i have two kids and two classes so make it worth my time mm -hmm. Mer yeah. Severe Mercy. A Severe Mercy. Yes. A Severe Mercy. A Severe Mercy. Who's the by? I, I mean, want to say. Surely there's not another book with the same title, but. Let me make sure I just look it up real quick. Okay, Adam, what do you have? Looking at my. Uh, it's by Sheldon Van Aken. There's also one that I read really recently that, like, I wouldn't say writing wise is the best book i've ever written or written read but it like really made me like, feel something forever yeah and it like made me really sick when i finished it um it's called a good neighborhood anyway, a good neighborhood yeah um it's pretty recent too but it just like I still think about it sometimes and I didn't like what it did with its timeline because it's really slow and then it's really fast. But now I realize, I think that there's a big purpose behind that, like how quickly things can escalate um, in certain situations, but yeah. Okay. okay. What's yours, Adam? Um, have you read um, uh, Flowers for Algernon? 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 Yeah. But not since like ninth grade. Have uh, you read Quo Vadis? No. I think that's that my favorite book. I, I remember reading that. I remember that you her. saying that. What? Well, who did y'all read that for? It was summer reading. I think going yeah, into I feel like I remember year. Aaron saying that's his favorite book ever. I don't even remember what it's about. I think it was about Christians in Rome or something, but like. I think that would, yeah, I think it's it's probably tied for first with the severe mercy, honestly. It is, no, it's it's historical fiction. Okay. It was like, yeah, I remember just, it was one of those books where I just couldn't put it down, honestly. Yeah. I just kept reading it. That was, you just have to get past the first like 50 pages and then you're good. And then, yeah, I just have like, couple more questions so as an English teacher do you think you've ever found yourself overanalyzing the book <laughs> uh yeah but that's just like practice yeah I mean none of us spend as much time as I do in my job like picking apart a book so just like for like humans in general for sure and I also like are you saying like in class or just in my own time? Because I do it in my own time. I do it in my own time to be like over prepared for class discussion. So I'm like, have lots of things in my pocket. But uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. but I'm also <laughs> paid to do that. Yeah. By the minute, right? There's definitely those moments in class, like, no way the author meant that. Like, come <laughs> on. Yeah, I've just wanted to confirm the memes that I've seen <laughs> about that. So. Oh, I know. <laughs> so you like guided my, you were, you were, what is it called? Like, you knew the answer that was coming probably. Well, I just, I don't know. I was just curious where that was going to go. Honestly, I didn't. Leading the witness. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. Leading question. Cross-examining almost. But yeah, for sure. But that's also, like I said, my job. If I were like in hmm. some other part of my life and that's what I, I did. I think that's your job though. Like why? It's like an element of 
That's a really good question. What is an English teacher's? No, hold on, hold time? on, hold on. If you you you're just trying to convey to us what the author intended. If you're overanalyzing yeah, it, but, then the author the didn't best, intend that. But, but, but the best authors do it. You're saying no. You're are saying not yeah. as clear in their intentions. So there are multiple possibilities. So we're just exploring mm. all of the. It's like it's just a way of problem solving without giving you real life problems to solve. It's like let's figure this thing out. It's just like life skills. So you're saying the author it. doesn't have like a set intention and he's kind of leaving it um, open for interpretation sometimes yes a lot of times so yeah. would that's what so, makes it good literature because it can it can yeah and and it helps that they're dead a lot of times hmm. <laughs> so you can argue it forever and there will never be an answer yeah so is it your job as a teacher to convey the message that the author has no. So what, what, what would you it's say? My job to get, it's my job to get you to be able to come up with a, an educated, intelligent response to that question. Okay. To what question? To, what is the message of this? Oh. Or what is the purpose of it? Yeah, it's not my job to tell you. It's my job to teach you how to figure it out and then express it. Interesting. And do you think that's like, I'm just trying to like draw out the like logical conclusions here would you say that's like something that's applicable to life in general like the fact that you think you could sort of interpret what an author is trying to say in their books yeah I mean if you think about how much we communicate with language part of it is like interpreting what people say like mood and tone seems silly when you're studying them in a book but you get a text message that says like come home now with an exclamation point. Like you use what you know to figure out if that's like you're in trouble or I bought you a new car, like based on context clues and what, like that's like a really simplistic, but it, it, yeah, it teaches you to grapple with something difficult and make sense of it. Hmm. So yeah, I, obviously I, I think there is a place for um, English teachers right but to me it's just like thinking about what the true purpose of English teachers are uh, like, but I feel like it has changed as well like it used to be to teach grammar and communication skills but now you have things like Grammarly and word processors that like do that for you so you don't have to learn to spell right you don't have to like I think it right. benefits you to learn those things but you don't have to learn that anymore you can learn it through word processors and like so it's evolved i don't know i think me Currently. personally i if i were to redesign kind of the function of an english teacher i don't think literature would be a big part of english teaching what would be i think people or like just maybe a sense of like a certain sense of philosophy, almost like logical reasoning, how to develop an argument, how to write more persuasively and effectively and clearly. Because I feel like but that I mean, is, but that's that, how you, that's what that, you get from literature. Not yeah, like that's just using literature as like the something a little more interesting than like I don't know legal code or something to to do that with. Well, but and to like find human connections, like 
find someone who went through the same thing you did or felt the same thing or make you feel something. But I, I think that like people will do that regardless of whether or not they have literature. I, I'm saying that people's writing skills nowadays are probably lackluster to the point where I think we would we need to focus primarily on improving people's writing abilities and kind of analysis abilities where I don't think literature honestly plays that big of a so role. What should, they, what should people be analyzing? So just like analyzing arguments that are made um, in everyday life, like through campaign slogans, through popular political, you know, uh, speech. Okay, okay. So I, yeah, like that's a, um, a real life application of it. But mm -hmm. part of what reading literature does as well is exposes you to all different types and styles of writing and you know like those come from humans so like different people write different ways or vocabulary like i'm sorry but you're not going to learn vocabulary just by memorizing it in a book taking a test and moving on you have to like see it used in literature and figure out what it means as you go and use your context clues like i stopped teaching vocab that way because it's just pointless and it's more of like okay, find this page, you, there are five words on here you don't know, give me your guesses for what they mean based on the words around them, like building those skills. So literature get, like builds your vocabulary, it builds your, it helps you become a stronger writer in that you've seen tons and tons of examples. So I disagree. I think I actually learned a lot from vocab quizzes as annoying and Seriously? tedious as they were. You yes, I, words? Okay, but yeah, do you use those words yeah. in your everyday yeah. vocabulary? Sometimes, yeah, I do. Okay, but is and it I, from like, did when you did the vocabulary stuff, did you have to memorize them? Did you have to like use them in sentences and use them in writing? Yeah. Or did you just yeah, like yeah. draw like, and match to definitions? Well, Mrs. Schwartz would make us construct sentences that had. Okay, so that's an application. That's application. Right. So I'd say it was effective in that sense. But I think whenever we introduce literature, to try to teach stuff like writing persuasively or logically or constructing an argument or reconstructing an argument from what someone else said. I feel like that sort of, that's just an unnecessary middleman in my opinion. Like I think we can just teach writing in its purest form without literature. And I think that well, be a lot more helpful for people. So there's is there no room that. for art in your world because English is actually like technically on the whatever like common course of is language arts there's an element of that it's art there's sure. an art appreciation factor of it so you just want to take all the art out out of what English is supposed to do I think we can have like a separate sort of maybe classification for that sort of thing like well, it is. Class. it's it's like it's separated you're you know, you're supposed to teach liter literature, which is like reading, writing, vocabulary, and then there's like a spoken element as well. But I mean, when I was in middle school, English classes were a double block and everything else was single because it did, it, you know, separate it from English and the arts. But Ooh. high schools generally just like it's one class. So it's like teaching technical writing and art together. I just don't think that kind of having those two things at the same time is an effective use of time. Because let's be like, 
I'll be completely honest. I don't think 80% of my classmates actually read the books or read the spark notes in a way that actually helped them. Help them write. Sure, help them write or analyze anything. I think if we just straight up taught them even symbolic logic, just straight up logic, how to write an argument, how to write like in cohesive paragraphs without sort of that element of literature being the middleman, I just think that would be a lot more beneficial because there are some some bad writers out there. Man. But I think that goes along with whenever you, so right, vocab books have just the word and the definition. And if you memorize that, you, you it's kind of hard to actually incorporate that into your everyday vocabulary. But whenever you do see the vocab used actually in literature, you like get the full meaning of it. And I feel like that also goes the same with like literature and like writing. It's like if you actually see like how like good writing, when you actually see that, then it help, it'll help you fully understand what you need to do to also be a good writer. But I think most students don't see good writing. Like they don't, they don't read the books, they read spark notes. Okay. So like maybe, ha so I'm not saying we eliminate literature from schooling entirely. I'm saying have English just be writing and analyzing class instead of like sort of this hybrid of the two. So it should be a totally separate reading class. But then what do you do with what you read like in those classes? And that poor teacher, if you're telling me that no one reads, then if you're like the reading literature teacher, then, well, then, oh, then you your students will just like fail 100% or you're just like... There's, like yeah, there's a case to just get rid of literature in school altogether because no one is reading it, honestly. I think it's before you do that, it's how do you get people to read? Start there. Sure, but I, I think we have to... Or you just give up. <laughs> yeah, just poor, give up. poor writing is, is probably more of a problem than not having read literature, in my opinion. Like, not being able yeah. to fo cohesively form an argument and understand yeah. when someone... But what I'm saying is that you become a better writer the more you read. And I agree in sort of a stylistic sense, but I don't think it helps you become a more cohesive writer or a better analytical thinker. But it gives you a place to practice. That's but not like real world. It's like the difference between watching the NBA to become a better basketball player and like having tutoring in basketball itself. I gotta go to North Fork. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, I got a You're engine fine. light on. That's fine. You can just go do it. I'll take care of him. Yeah. Okay. You sure? Yeah. Yes. I take care of him. Okay. Yeah. See you later, Serena. See, I have to take care of the children. Very authentic. I heard the piano. Yeah. Was it Henry? Was it Henry falling behind, or was it Matthew? Just that was in? that was Matthew practicing with bad technique. Mm -hmm. But see, not bad practicing. practicing. But it's bad practicing. So I don't know if it's actual. It'll help him or not. But I'll uh -huh. have to go talk to him about what he was doing. So parenting. But. But yeah, as I was saying, it's like the difference between watching the NBA to get better at basketball 
as opposed to actually practicing with a coach. Yeah, but you need both because if you had never seen what basketball, good basketball looks like, or if you didn't have that to watch, then you would just feel like your goal would be. That's true. Okay, like but have a goal that you knew of, like what it looked like. I mean, that, that's true in a sense, but I think the way that we're approaching exposing students to good writing now is just, it's not very good. Like most students don't read, so it's kind of hard to. Okay. Right, so we, I understand we that, but say, just don't get rid of literature. I understand no, I'd say it, get, before we get rid of it. Ex yes. Expose students as much as is minimally necessary is, is my take. Like expose them to good writing or good argument okay, making. Okay, so another thing I've tried is excerpts. Mm -hmm. Like, can I get like the book club thing? I think that's I, a good idea. I try to draw them in with excerpts. So like give you a, like a, a section from it. Sure. <laughs> it's but, like watching the trailer for a movie. Like, oh, that was a good trailer. I watched the movie. Okay, yeah, but, exactly. I don't, but I don't think we need students that are necessarily good novel writers or good like you know no i don't think it's gonna make them good novel writers so, but there's also so i mean there's research shows that more avid readers have higher vocabularies better test scores all of that but they also tend to be more like empathetic people but is that that might just be correlation and not necessarily causation though because i mean I'd, no, there's I'd go out on a limb and say that more, more, more intelligent people generally are more avid readers, like probably. I'd, so I don't think that's necessarily like... No, there's some really shitty literature books out there mm -hmm. that you can get human emotion from and not be like intelligent or more intelligent well, than someone, but still be a nice person. So I think, but I, but my argument is that our goal shouldn't necessarily to be teaching kids how to write novels or stuff like that. And I think your argument. Yeah, sort that's, of, not saying, that's not my goal. Like if you're looking at the bigger, bigger, bigger goal, it's giving them something or someone to connect with and giving them like the ultimate version of that writing. Cause why I, not? This is this, this is, this is the part in your life where you should be exposed to art. But I think the Better people that than... the people that high school kids relate to now aren't like Pip and you know Edmund Dantes, they're James Charles and like the Nelk boys on I YouTube. I just right? I just told you that I would have risked coronavirus and exposing everyone I know to follow my husband back to college. Isn't that Pip? Isn't that sad? It's well, sad. <laughs> <laughs> you're but. <laughs> that, that's that's not really related to what I'm saying though, because what I'm saying is people. You're saying they don't relate. General, isn't that a very human thing? You do stupid things for like someone that you have a crush on, even if they I'm give saying, you nothing in return. But that's kids like, aren't kids aren't choosing great expectations as something to relate to nowadays. They're choosing like people on social media and like sports stars. Well, yeah, but, not choosing books. But which is which is more destructive? Not to sound old again, but like. There's no filter for that stuff. So yeah, it's real life, but this is just like filtered art can give you that as well. Culture, giving you I'm some saying, But I'm saying that as a teacher, it, it, you're not really like, I wouldn't even say it's 
a necessity for you to provide that for them anymore because they've already found it and they're not going to try to find it in the way that you provide through books. How did this conversation turn into like me, my job is unnecessary? No, I'm not saying it's unnecessary. <laughs> I'm just saying like, I, I just have a different view of what English teachers like. I mean, so when I, the day I went back to work, when I had, after I had Max, Jojo was like, mommy, why are you going to work? And my husband had tried to talk me into quitting anyways and just like not working. And so he's looking at me like, mm -hmm, answer her. And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to get back to you on that one. So now you're just like bringing up all that postpartum trauma. Why do I go to oh, work? Yeah. <laughs> not for the money. It's not for the health insurance anymore. <laughs> anymore. Well, I don't know. I think <laughs> I guess to just because <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. I do. I get very excited about certain things, even when I was just real pissed yesterday. There's some satisfaction. Oh, yeah. Just absolutely. Well, I don't know. Now I'm searching for meaning. I don't know. Well, know. you know, this is a good <laughs> segue. I, after, I should have known this is where I was going to end up, but <laughs> defending think... my career choice. I'm not like a bashing English teaching as a career or anything. I'm just saying like, I think maybe we should, <laughs> we should, no, no, I'm saying we should consider converting English teachers into more philosoph philosophical writing teachers. Okay. Where we can have students. Did you, did you listen to the podcast with Mrs. Ernest? Uh, yeah, I think I did. What, what did you think about what she had to say about like the, how literature is necessary? I mean, I can't really recall what she said off the top yeah, of my head. She's but saying basically the same stuff as what we're saying here, but. Uh, well, my argument to that would just be that students don't actually read and they find okay. relatability in other for, in other mediums, like finding people. So is it my on, job to like show TikToks and talk about like. Well, no, no, no. I'm that's saying. That's you find things that are relatable, then what? I don't, I, so I don't think a, a, an English teacher's job should be finding like relatable forms of media i think it should be teaching okay, students okay, how to you say philosophy so let me traditional philosophy like most philosophy has a start somewhere and that's like in the ancients so do you think if students aren't going to read frankenstein no, they're no, going to no, no. plato I, I, i'm not i'm not saying see i agree i think plato sucks but i think they we should be teaching them how to analyze like sort of more analytical philosophy, right? Not like that old, boring, like ancient Greek stuff, right? Okay, but even more, even more, I mean, that philosophy is way more dense, like modern philosophy. Well, I'm- Way more dense than literature. So literature is accessible philosophy. So when I say philosophy, I mean, how, like, forming arguments and analyzing arguments, not necessarily okay, reading like Nietzsche or you know trying to decipher a Camus or okay. stuff like that right, but you're you saying have to these... have some basis in philosophy to talk philosophy like you have to understand god I don't I, then... I don't think so I think in order to make an argument you just need to understand the principles of logic and how to write clearly I think that would sounds more boring I mean, it's boring, like but I think it's something and then getting what it's saying out of it and then debating, like, is science good? Is science bad? What are the, you know, like, 
Well, I think it, but it is nature isn't, should you write five pages about nature and get lost in it or should you skip it? But I think what you said earlier was that an English teacher's job in some ways is to teach students how to think, how to analyze literature. But I'm saying we could do a better job of that by sort of just purifying the class down to its essential parts and just teaching them how to analyze an argument itself, teach them what are logical fallacies, what is a valid argument. So just becoming you know, more, to, of a, more of a class and argumentation and right, philosophy. Right. But like you're not, I don't feel like we're on different sides of this because I agree, but I'm saying that literature gives you something to create an argument about where it's not always like major right. controversy. I'd say sure, but I feel like the amount of focus we have on literature and the just absolute absence of focus we have on argumentation is a problem in English class. Like I, I think if we're trying to say that English teachers are supposed to teach you how to think, I feel like we're, we're doing a very poor job of that. I, I think that's fair. I think that there's kind of an evolution in instead of teaching you what to think, it should be how to think. And I definitely got that in college. Um, and I was an English major, so I read a lot of literature. But it's not like the books that I read that have benefited me. It's like what we did with those and like how we discuss those that. Right, and, I, and I'd say we don't discuss what to actually do. Like, it, let's say we, and obviously this is completely hypothetical, say we keep literature like in the system we, we still need to teach students how to analyze and how to make arguments, how to present evidence, how to determine whether or not evidence is sound and valid. Yeah, I understand literature gives you like a safe space to do that where it's not just always like politics and things that are not like people are never going to agree on. And I think there's a time and place to have those discussions in a classroom as high schoolers, but sometimes it's kind of like a break for something that's art, but also something that you can practice those skills on. I'm sure, but I'd say there are some issues that aren't abortion or, you know, Black Lives Matter or something like that, that we can discuss. Um, uh, I said, is it worth yeah. writing five pages about nature or not? Well, I, I, don't, I don't mean literature though. I mean like certain contemporary issues that we somewhat care about, but not, but aren't emotionally tied to. Like, is TikTok trash or not? Sure, like, what TikTok. makes... I, I, like, got so fed up last week that I got rid of everything, so I just don't exist anymore. Hmm. Oh, I guess I still have a Snapchat, but I don't do anything on it, really. So. Um, it sounds like you, you're talking about all this, like, we have to make sure that we can, like, write persuasively and, and, and the argument, and I, under, I understand, but then where's... Where's the like just relaxing part of literature? That's, just, what, like, that's what I'm saying. Like you have to have, there's a part of it too that's just like enjoying art. It's art appreciation. But I don't think and, like, students don't the enjoy art. No under, one reads it. Well, that's the problem. It's like understanding the mechanics of what makes great art, great art versus just like a crap book. I think. Same with painting or, or sculpture or like if you under, and part of that is just being like a cultured individual and having things to talk about with people is that you understand like the, the, the elements of writing and who does it 
you know, examples of who does it really well. I feel like you've given no, I, up to I, I, a student. No, but I would student. rather have a student population yeah. that knows how to think rather than can appreciate art. Yes, but can, but literature should make you think. It makes you think in sort of a passive way, in you my opinion. You just don't, no, I think you just don't like that they're not real life <laughs> situations. And so it's like, why am I going to spend my time analyzing this when it's not real? It's fiction. But I'm just saying it's practice. And it's like practice for your brain and practice writing when you do have to go out and do these things. Because so, not everyone is as comfortable with debating as other people. Well, it's not even, you don't have to debate necessarily. You can. Well, but like not write. everyone's as comfortable with sharing their opinions about things that actually matter. But it's good practice to be like, well, I like that character. Well, I think that character sucks. Like, I don't think it's a matter of. Writing was. I don't think it's a matter of teaching people how to express their opinions and argue their opinions well. I think it's a matter of understanding both sides of the argument, how to argue for both sides. Right, and understanding what makes a good argument for both sides and what doesn't. But that's what you do in literature. Like, that's what, that's, that's. Very, I think in a very, in my experience, watered down and just very uncoordinated way. It's just my experience. superficial because it's about fiction. No, I, I disagree. I don't like, I think as interesting as it can be to argue about the symbolism behind Frankenstein. I don't think that the instruction we get necessarily teaches us how to think outside of that. It doesn't teach us how to form an argument. It doesn't teach us how to analyze evidence. Oh, yeah, to... but writing about it does. I mean, but we don't do that very often. And very often teachers don't provide the necessary instruction for students to be able to argue comp competently for certain, uh, you know, uh, opinions they have to offer about certain texts, so. What about your Heart of Darkness paper? Mm -hmm. You don't think, you don't think that assignment, what we did with Heart of Darkness, I mean, was it, a good way it, of forming an argument and... I would say the philosophy classes where they've just taught how to form an argument, what makes this something valid what makes something a fallacy that has been way more beneficial to me than learning like through this kind of secondhand beneficial to, to your actual like writing or just the way you the way think i about think about things the way i think about things in general has been way more has benefited way more from philosophy okay, but we're classes. talking about writing like right writing like yes. writing paper. writing yeah. yes my writing has You're been a your lot writing more has gotten better Yes, because when you know how to think and how to argue something clearly, I think that improves your writing drastically. Because we don't need writers that are able to like, like bullshit through five pages. We need writers that can express their opinion in a clear way that's valid and makes sense. Right? Because you can write beautifully. Right? I'm sure a lot of people that. I think that, that, is, that. I think that is a section people, of literature. That is but, not very many, but we don't need that. Like, I would much prefer to have a population that knows how to argue effectively sure we don't in a population that can just we don't need well, why like pleasurable food all we need is like just enough to like survive but like you're just taking and wouldn't you rather have like a healthier population than a population that has just 
You're taking like, five thousand flavors you're, of ice you're cream. Going, you're going very you're uh, so like, like minimalist. Almost pull back on What? So I think the people that want to read will read. That's what I think, and I don't think a class okay. dedicated to reading. But I didn't know I wanted. I didn't know I wanted to read until mm -hmm. I was introduced to some books. Okay, but you spent the majority of your school years not reading any of the books. Right. But that small percentage of the school year where I actually did read the books because I was forced to, that is what got me into reading. If I was never exposed to it, then I probably would have never even gotten into reading. It's like, it's like a sport, like basketball. If your parents sign you up for basketball and you hate it, great. But if you love it, there you go. But if you were never given the opportunity. I just think it's, it, it's what I'm arguing more from a stance of like limited resources. Like we only have so much time with students. I'd rather have them learn how to think and argue effectively than have kind of compel them to read literature, which may or may not help them, right? Okay. I see what you're saying. I see like, what you're saying there. I just don't think eliminating it is the answer. Well, I, I think there can be some part of our class. Full, full, full reason, no beauty. Well, I think yeah, there, that's what I'm hearing. there's no, no beauty at all because no one's reading. Okay, anyway, I get what you're so, saying. I, I get, and that's why we talked. That's the opportunity for beauty. Then it's just like, and that's why we talked earlier about you about you saying, "Oh, you should get to know your students, so you know like what kind of literature you, you should." Sure, and them. and but I think that would be in the context of a class that's not viable. That's art. That's not necessarily English, as we call it. Okay. Yeah, but the way that. It, education has been set up I teach language arts it's both well I think that's that's the problem there so that, that's what I'm saying okay okay Adam so, <laughs> Conrad I, I hope you enjoyed this one <laughs> I'm sure he's I'm sure he'll text me about it yeah Conrad text me text me like I don't know text me the words world star if you actually get to this point in the conversation Conrad is... I just feel like I'm going to be really heartbroken when he responds and he's like, yeah, I didn't read. All of my argument will be forever. Yeah. Uh, I, know, I know Philemon read. Yeah. I'm sure he oh, read. Philemon, he for sure read. He for sure read. And that's for about, sure. out of all the guys I can think in the class, maybe Arvind. I could, yeah, I bet Arvin read. Uh, Arvin probably read, but Arvin was probably like, I, I, Arvin was like so, I feel like it was a couple of times very close to kind of like jumping on Adam's ship as far as being like, yeah. But yeah. whereas Conrad and Philemon would never rock, like they're just gonna like do it, trust me, <laughs> go with it. Arvin had a little twinkle in his eye sometimes. <laughs> He just never quite expressed it. That's our that's that's Arvin's personality though. Like yeah. that's his on that's honestly his whole personality was yeah. pretty much how he approached his life. Just a meta point here, and I feel like we'll have to address our class if this ever gets, you know, bigger than it is now, I think we should address our classmates in a more like anonymous way. 
right? We'll see. Okay. We'll see what happens. Okay. Shit about We're, everything I said was nice. Right. I'm just saying, like, for their <laughs> privacy's sake, I guess. Sure. We're not saying, we didn't say anything. We just ex- exposed Conrad as not as cool as you think he is because he did all his homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time out of your day to join yeah. us. Yeah. Um, perfect timing because I can see a little head on my monitor. So cute. Um, Cool. I'm going to take a look at Americana. I'm right. I wrote down these books, so, you know. So if you're, um, Quo Vadis is a longer one, so maybe not start with that one. That's all okay. I'm going to say. Um, okay. Americana is on my list. Adam, you're going to try it too, right? Oh, I need, maybe. next time. It's strong maybe. Strong maybe. Next time I see, you should give me the um, oh, Stranger. Yeah. Stranger, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I read Stranger in a grad school philosophy class, so. It's a, it's a, it's a great it's very interesting. Yeah. See, that should be your next, like, spinoff is Podcast Book Club. Adam's not invited, because he doesn't read. I read? Are you kidding? He reads different books. <laughs> he doesn't want to read what I want. Well, I, I, never, reads, I like, never said I didn't. Pure, like, no, I don't. No, I don't. I actually read, like, Okay, then so why do you not have an appreciation right for it? He doesn't like, want someone to tell no. him what. He doesn't no, no, want no, 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 no. I'm just saying, required. I think reading books on your own time is great. I just don't think okay. that the way our English class is structured now is okay, great. Okay, okay, I see you. I Two got different it. things. So. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I should be continued go. after we all go read something and then decide. Okay. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, I'm. I think I would. But I do. I've never taught Americana before. So from two people who I taught before who have been in a classroom with me, although I feel like my classroom is very different now. And just thinking about like what you feel like you want out of an English class, I would be interested to know. Are people going to be like, what the hell is this? Why are we reading this? Or like, I get it. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it a, I'll give it a look. I'll get it. I think some students will read whatever you assign just to get the A, but there's always those. I know, but if you didn't live in a dystopian world, <laughs> it's I not dystopian. That's a better world. Dystopia. I have to be. It's utopia. Optimistic, because otherwise, again, why do I go to work? So if I don't hold on, cling to that twenty percent. You go to it's work very, because you enjoy it. That's what matters. Very, very biased. As long as you enjoy it, that's all that I'm, I am more genuine because I don't go to work for money or insurance or housing or any of those things. There you go. Your joy. There you go. And on that note, <laughs> we should end it. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been fun. That, I'm, I'm that hungry. Time is over. Back, to, yeah. back to life. Back to, back to life as, as it was. Well, thank you again. Um, yeah. um, I'll yeah. definitely have to um, tell you what I think about Americana. For sure. I'm interested. Yep. Right. Well, right. see you when I see you. Yeah. Good time. Enjoy, enjoy virtual. Sorry it's this way, but. You not know, bad. It's not that bad. We have each other. Yeah, we're workout buddies now. <laughs> Cut this part. <laughs> Cut this part from the tape. <laughs> All right, and uh, yeah, I'm going to end it. All right, see ya. Yep.